Welcome to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. It is long-form, one-on-one conversations with people who have a foot in the world of the artist and a foot in the world of the warrior. It's produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events. Today, my guest was Mason Roderig. Mason and I met on Instagram, where he is a phenomenal poet. Uh, as I tell him on the episode, he is completely on brand with his poetry, which he publishes um, often under the uh, Instagram handle of Dead Gunner Poetry. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's hard-hitting, has very little filter, is very rhythmic. Um powerful stuff and i've really enjoyed reading it he's been a featured poet of ours on our savage wonder literary blog for a while now and it was great to have him on the show he is of course a marine corps veteran two deployments he was a 0331 machine gunner so naturally he would become a professional poet right um he also does a lot of volunteer work which we talk about on the episode with patrol base abate um, which is a nonprofit doing a lot of really interesting stuff um, aimed at veteran uh, community building and uh, suicide prevention and uh, and a lot of other constructive uh, lines of effort. But anyway, Mason was a really interesting guy. I almost didn't even need to be there. Uh, once Mason gets going, he just goes. And uh it was a great conversation. Uh, he, we could have done easily five hours. Uh, I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Um, he's got a lot to say, and uh, it'll be great to have him on again in the future as we cover more and more ground uh, incrementally each time he comes on. But it was great to have this first conversation and learn a little bit more about the method behind the madness. So I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the Artistic Director of VetRep. And this is the savage wonder of Mason Roadrig. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, glad to be here. <laughs> I see you have the omnipresent uh, United States Marine Corps flag behind you. Yeah, this flag. Um, so. Uh, you can't really see like every little detail, but there's probably over over 200 names on this flag. Really? Yeah. Where are they? are they on the flag itself? Or are they on the border? That's nuts. Everyone that I had signed it, right? So, oh no, yeah, sure. I was I, I was weapons company. Um, so I supported obviously all of the line companies. I'm a very social person myself, being from Louisiana, um, and I became uh, somewhat infamous in my unit. Um, because of my NJP, um, not the NJP itself, right? Like Marines get, get DUIs. It happens. I'm not right. 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 Providence is part of my story. Right. So me and my best friend, um, both took DUI NJPs right around our two year mark. We were on the (laughs) cusp of corporal and then we got knocked down to PFC again. And it was like, well, shit. But, um, so this is why you have such an ode to Lance Corporal I am, in your yeah, work, to, right? To, to the day I die, man, I got out as a Lance Corporal. Um, yeah. yeah. I yeah, had yeah. to kind of rebuild my career from scratch. I was excelling professionally and just not handling a lot of things in my personal personal life well. That's why I got a yeah. DUI. 
But gotcha. um, our junior Marines show up uh, about two months after we lose rank. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't one of these people who were super bitter about losing rank. I was just like, it is what it is. It sucks. It's going to kind of hold me back from some billets I wanted to get. Um, right, right. But the amount of experience I had, um, and same goes for, for my, my buddy Palmer. We, we were studs. We knew the, the job of being a machine gunner, specifically being a, a, a cat machine gunner. Um, a lot of people like to be like, oh, well, they're mounted and they don't have to, to carry anything anywhere. It's like, well, when we do, it's way heavier than what you're carrying. Um, but, uh, so yeah. you, but were you thinking of the Marines as a career at that I was point? Very open. Were you thinking this was going to be 20 I years? I was very open to it. But our, our yeah. so, the, but what happened was our boots showed up and in one six, the tradition is that a junior Marine will call us a, a senior PFC, Mr. And then whatever their last name is. So because we were weapons and we were attached everywhere, all these like staff NCOs were seeing like these junior Marines like showing up like, yes, Mr. Roderick, yes, Mr. Palmer. And they were like, what the fuck is going on? Like, can we, you know, we can swear on the show, right? I'm going to. Yeah, you uh, can yeah, swear. Yeah, you're good. Bit, probably, yeah, yeah. probably some saltier yeah. language. But they were just yeah, like, who good. are these two PFCs that all these like other PFCs are standing at parade rest for? Like, what is this all about? You know, and and we the, we both continue to excel professionally and, and hold, you know, team leader billets and. It just yeah. it caught a lot of attention, and both of us were pretty social. Um, we were very active on uh, the barracks party scene, so I, yeah. I got around. And there's just tons of names on here. I made an area for Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and then I made there's heavy guns is right there. There's a little spot for the snipers, uh, eighty ones platoon. Um, it just all, everyone, you know, that's freaking amazing. So you got that flag early on when you were there. No, you had that the whole time. In your I did career. not have this flag the whole time. I okay. Uh, it was probably like my last week in the fleet, and everyone went on post deployment leave on like a Friday, and then I got out the next Tuesday. My terminal started, so I was not leaving. Gotcha. But I knew a lot gotcha. of people were going to be gone. So that Friday before battalion formation, I just went around. Yeah. Just like taking it to all my friends, like, hey, sign the flag. And then, you know, they'll leave like a little note or like an inside joke or this or that, yeah, right? Yeah. So everyone that got out as like a terminal lance, I put like the little like, you know, lance corporal thing next to it. And then all my buddies who were snipers, I threw the, you know, it upsets a lot of people with the little, the, the lightning bolts next to it. And oh, right. Yeah, right, right. You know, but it's, it is what it is. You know, well, all, all my, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the interior culture. Yeah. And what, what was, uh, how many people got left off? How many people you're like, no, you're good, bro. No, I, I, no I'll remember you. Yeah. Was there anybody that left off? Was there anybody that you dodged? They were like, you saw them coming. You're like, no, no, no you're man, good. You don't I, need to sign. I just, I, I have a, a, a deep, deep love for all the guys that I was in that unit with, you know? Okay. That's I, cool. I just went around. I had like, I knew I had about one or two days to try and get everybody on there. And there were people who yeah. were like, had gotten out or some had gone to other units. It, I didn't quite get everyone I wanted to, but I had this idea I was like, I want to get the battalion commander and sergeant major to sign it. And usually, like, they're not going to do that for most Lance Corporals. But um, <clears throat> they were pushing really hard to try and keep me in. They tried to get my NJP expunged, believe it or not. Wow. Um, didn't work. And that didn't work didn't out. Didn't work yeah. out. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, 
they they kept kind of pulling me in and they were like, well, what would it take to keep you in? And I was like, well, I'm st- I'm a Lance Corporal and I'm almost 30. I'm tired of living in the barracks. Like, so I, I pitched this at my sergeant major. I was like, if you can get me I and I duty training reservists in New Orleans with full BAH, I'll do it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I gave him like an impossible task. And then, yeah, um, right, right. I'm at the gym. This is in Okinawa. I'm at the gym and like one of my like juniors comes over to the bench. He's like, hey, Lance Corporal, uh, Sergeant Major wants to see you. I'm like, dude, we're off. I show up in his office. I'm all sweaty. He's like, I can get you what you want, but it's in Austin, Texas. And I'm like, oh, interesting. So we played ball. They tried. They just couldn't get it expunged. And then like from there, the best they could do was like a two-year extension. I was like, I'm out. I'm like, I I can't keep living this lifestyle um, I need yeah. to get out. I need to, rec- I need to make real money. I need to, you know, I just get away from, from the barracks. They're not uh, a place for a, uh, a grown adult, you know, um, <clears throat> there were a lot of, so I joined late. I was going to be an op- uh-huh. I was going to be an officer. I got into some legal trouble. I did two and a half years of probation and I was like, I'm not getting any younger. Um, so I just want to go in. And they were like, are you sure you want to go in? Yeah. Like at 26. I'm like, I want right. to be a machine gunner, man. Like, put me where the belt feds are so i went in and um you know by the by the end and they were like you know we think your maturity is going to really help and rub off on some of these guys and it did to some extent but a lot of that immaturity rubbed off on me too yeah you know, yeah it goes both it ways. goes both ways yeah. you're, you're not making much yeah. money you're hanging out in the barracks everyone's yeah. 18 19 20 and they're like let's party and i'm like y'all don't know anything about partying let me teach you guys how to how to throw down you know, we had some really good times. How long was it before you, when you got out, before you started writing or had you already been writing? I began writing um, around the time of that NJP. I, uh, the most recent thing I posted on my Patreon, which is where I share all of really all my long form writing that does not fit on a, on an Instagram post. I've been kind of holding on to this one for a while. Because it wasn't the most important thing to address when it happened, but the day those Marines and and sold and, yep. and they, the day they died at Kabul, Vice released this article. Why are so many Marines neo Nazis? And I remember everyone was just like outraged, and I was I was like, "What is this trash? Yeah, where yeah. do they get off thinking that this is okay?" And if you go look at the article now, they actually have done. There's this little editor's note where they're like. This was right. published before this happened. And it's like, but you still felt the need to run it and then leave this up there. There. Yeah. Right. So th- you read a headline and you'll think, oh, there must be a, a massive neo-Nazi problem in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Five sure. cases a year of extremists and a branch of 185,000 Marines. That's 0.00002%. And they felt the need to act like there's some issue. Um, so I, I went on to debunk that and what I wrote and then kind of carry into, it's like, so, but are Marines extremists? I would argue, yes, at least I I didn't experience the, the military at large. The military at large is a very big, very diverse group. I did some research on it and in the army, black women are, uh, represented at a higher rate than like in the civilian workforce. And you can find like little mm. statistics like that, mm. right? Like you will find mm. more women and more minorities in most branches 
than you will in the, sure. in the average workforce. It the, the military to me really is a place where everyone comes together and makes this melting pot. Now, sure, are there some issues with my branch right here? Absolutely. Of in terms of women, it had it's the only one that has less than ten percent officer and enlisted. Um, I think that just comes down to personal choice. Like what, what do people want to do when they sign up? Right. I don't, I, most women right. don't want to do this and that's okay. The Marine Corps was like underrepresented for African Americans, but it is the most overrepresented for Hispanic, uh, hmm. populations, which uh, we, I don't, I'm not sure what, what branch uh, were you in? I was army. army. Yeah. So anyone who served in the Marine Corps will tell you like, it is definitely a it's there's a lot of Hispanic uh, yeah. two of my best friends from my platoon. We have so like, you know, you get out and you have like little group chats with people. I have one. It's uh, Ricardo and Rubiel and they were actually cousins, um, I think, on their Puerto Rican side. Uh, and uh-huh. they're both from like South Florida. But like we text like every day. It's two of my closest friends. You know, I met people yeah. from all yeah. over the country. But the Marine Corps infantry does skew uh, incredibly male alpha male. Sure. And it skews a little more white and it skews pretty Hispanic. Um, it's this thing where I'm way off on a tangent, but this is just kind of what I most. Dude, go for it. I'll, I'll rope yeah. you back this, in a minute. This, kind of, go this for is it. what no. I most, rec- what I most recently yeah. wrote about, but it's, it's yeah. when they try to say, well, there must be something wrong with this, with this institution because of, because of its makeup. It's like people have a freedom of choice when they walk into a yeah. recruiter's office, when they go into those offices, they get to decide who and what they want to do and how they want to serve. And guess what? Most yeah. people don't want to do what I did. They don't want to carry heavy shit. They don't want to go places yeah. where they might get shot. They don't want to like they don't want to do it and I don't blame them. It's weird. I think a lot of people even in the military sometimes forget that a lot of Marines don't serve past that initial contract. And it's kind of like they get the lead out. They get they do everything they want to do. They they you go hard and you go fast because it really is a zero to 60 learning curve because the Marines are so tip of the spear. There's so much fucking grunt work involved that usually four to six years gets that out of you. A lot of people, if you're somebody that wants a 20 year career, you don't normally think of the Marines. Normally you're going to think, Hey, let me do army. Let me do air force. And I'll have parts where I go hard parts where I can go slow and all that. But the Marines it's go, 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 go. And that is a different mindset. It aged me. In a way that I did not think it would. I went in 26. I was I was a college athlete. I played rugby at LSU. Um, I was in, mm-hmm. I had a strength and conditioning degree. I knew how to take care of my body. It yeah. beat me up. There was a study done, I think, by San Diego State on the Marines near Pendleton. They found every year in the infantry is four years of aging, normal uh, aging on the body. Yeah, and I, you know, it is what it. So when. Last month, I went help patrol base Abate kind of organize these things. Right. Where we we got a lot of food donated for these Marines coming back. And one of the veterans that came uh, volunteer and help us on the first day, we were just kind of talking about like our careers and how they went. He was, um, I want to say he was Intel. He attached to a lot of grunts. And we were kind of, I was kind of talking about like how things went for me. He said, if you had stayed in, would you have wanted to stay in the O3 community? I said, without a doubt, man, there's nowhere else I would want to be. Um, he's like, it just seems so miserable. I said, it is when I was in, when I was in infantry training battalion, we asked one of the instructors, like, what's your favorite thing about the Marine Corps? And he said, shared suffering. And I was like, 
He's yeah. just saying that to sound badass. <laughs> but it's it's true. Yeah. When I think back to the times that like me and my friends remember, obviously there's the barracks parties and there's there's you know wild nights and stuff. Like that. But I think about like times in the field where everyone was. It was like we. <laughs> We had a two-week field op in January in Lejeune. And if you know anything about January in North Carolina, you know, it's not a good time. We caught rain for like two days. The average temperature was probably around 20 degrees. Dudes were getting hypothermia. And I think there's like a certain cutoff where you have to cancel the field op if a certain amount of dudes hype out. And they were just taking guys to their barracks, warming them up and being like, all right, get back in the seven ton. And they were like, what? I'm not getting medical attention. They're like, this was your medical attention. Your core temperature is back to a normal place and we got training yeah. to do, Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's terrible, terrible. But you can't, re- you can't replicate that bond through anything else. No, You got to bleed that out. You got to sweat it out. You got to grind it out no. together. And one of the things I wrote about in that article is that y- we, we don't judge each other by our skin color or where we come from or your background. We joke with each other about it a lot. I've, I've heard some of the most creative, I've heard stuff that would, you know, people are talking about trying to cancel Dave Chappelle. It's like, you should hear the the jokes we crack at each other, but it's tit for tat, you know. But yeah. um, I, I was sorry. I, let me just uh, let me sidebar for one second. There was I, I can't remember if I said this on the show or if I was talking with somebody else. But I said what people don't under what civilians I don't think understand about military humor is that we joke in the military in a cutting way, in a personal way, because it goes without saying that if anybody fucks with you. We will take care of them, and we'll take care of any outsider 100%. that does 100%. that. So when you're when you're all firing in the same direction, yeah. you can joke with each other in any number of ways, and you can Definitely. get as personal as you want because there's no doubt that we're all on the same team. And what makes that so tricky for civilians is that civilians aren't necessarily assured that they're on the same team. So there's not that trust. So then they all start to walk on eggshells, and everybody gets butthurt over this or that because there was never that sense of trust that was earned to begin with. It's and that's I think the different dynamic between the. And military hit humors. the nail on the head, man. So, like, coming from Louisiana, yeah. like everyone in Louisiana is like, I'm Cajun. Like that last name, Rodrigue, is strange to people. I was Rod, right? And a lot of people would mess up my name on purpose. They would. I, I just I heard every every Louisiana joke under the sun. And like for me, because right. we're because where I'm from, we're all from here. So it's not a thing we pick on each yeah. other about, and we're not exposed to. It's it's like a. You know, a stand-up comedian might make some jokes about Louisiana once in a while, but we're kind of an afterthought. And then you get in the military and everyone's like, oh, you go crawfish and catch Like, I'm like, you don't even have any basis for what you're trying to say. But you're right, man. That um, that tit for tat going back and forth with each other. Um, but it's, it's guys that you know because you've been tested. You've been through this. I know. Yeah. It's like. I, we say whatever we want to each other because I know when it's 20 degrees outside yeah. and I didn't pack enough f- food or I didn't quite bring enough layers and my homie's got extra, he's going to give it to me, right? Like seeing yeah. Marines like share food in the field, share like I- I've seen guys give like water to each other. You know, and it's not like a life or death situation. We're not deployed. It's just in the field. But it's like, you know, right. homies super low on water and it's like a couple clicks to the, you know, the water bowl to kind of refill all your water sources. And you're going to be out here for another, like, another day. Like Marines just take care of each other. And, you know, that's part of why. There's a, there's a lesson in that. There's a lesson in that. There's a lesson in that yeah. for the civilian world. Oh, 100%. If you take care of each other that much. 
on your downtime and in your regular life, you should be able to joke with each other as much as you want in your free time, you know, but it's, it's how you treat people when, um, it's, it's, it's that level of trust you can build in your community. And if you build that level of trust, then hopefully everybody has the, the bona fides to fuck around with each other, say whatever they want, and people won't well, get offended. Tru- truly and deeply, like, I, I believe that's the powers that be, the people in the media, right? They like to sow division and keep people at each other's throat because what I've seen is that people bond together over shared culture and shared experience, so if you got groups of people that are never experiencing things together, it there yeah. is there is going to be that divide. But yeah, you know, I, no, yeah. that that make that makes sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna rope that back into what I asked before. Yeah. So then you said you started writing though when you got yes. your non judicial punishment. So talk about that. What was it that triggered you to start writing, that? dude? So you had asked like, was I open to a career? I, I very much was. I went into the Marine Corps. I had been dating uh, a woman for like two and a half, almost three years. We dated into the Marine Corps and went through boot camp. Uh, my first deployment together, uh, we went through a, a, a pretty good bit. And I, for whatever reasons, had beliefs about myself that I was not going to be able to like make it outside of the, the Marine Corps. I, I saw like what the Marine Corps offered in terms of stability to start a family, mm. bonuses. Um, my team leader from my first deployment, when we got back, we had a lot of downtime. Um, he went to ANS. He was in MARSOC. He passed. He got his big $90,000 bonus. And he's operating mm. at a very high level. And he told me, he said, look, you know, Mason, what, what they're looking for, you know, I, I was I'm 5'7", stocky. I I was never by any means a PT stud. I kept up when I could. Um, But he said, look, they're not looking for the stud, right? You just got to train your ass off. And if you go to ANS, he said, you have the things they're looking for because you're older. You have, you know, X, Y, Z attributes. And and, and it's true that the the personality type that I continue to see in my own peer group and and friends and and Mm -hmm. leaders I've had go through assessment and selection, it's a certain type. And there's a lot of maturity that is important and humility being able to really, to me, I think the key is knowing when to lead and when to follow guys who, who it's not about them. They can kind of just go and like fill whatever role they got to fill and just be happy doing it. Um, to me, that seems to be a good measure of success. So I um, was pursuing an ANS seat. I was being talked about for promotion to Meritorious Corporal. Um, I had a lot going for me professionally. Um but I was not adjusting back to America from my deployment well at all. I was drinking extremely heavily and I had just put so much into this. And I, I talk a lot in my writing and my poetry about um, the way the Marine Corps changes you, right? Boot camp itself is an indoctrination process. There is a lot of psychological reconditioning that is turning you sure. into something, else you were this and now you were this right Right. everyone comes out robotic i went and thinking like well i'm 26 you know i'm smart dude i came out robot you know i just yeah you thought you were fully formed and you're like i didn't realize i had that many other levels to go i was to get where you needed me to be i've I've, whoever i was at 26 that was crumpled up and thrown in the trash and i was a completely new person i was 100 percent just as much of a stupid boot as every other stupid boot that comes out of recruit training, just a yeah. blank slate. And then you go to infantry training battalion 
it's an interesting change up because you go from the drill instructor who is crisp and clean and looks perfect 24-7 to these combat instructors, right? I, I had all these Afghan and Iraq vets and their camis are faded and they're not like wearing them super tight. They're wearing them the way you would wear it in the field. They smoke a pack a day. They're constantly dipping. They're all addicted to energy drinks. They, they've all got like this tired, like worn out look in their eyes. They're just, they, there was just like this hardness to those guys. And it was very, to me, I remember infantry training battalion was very intimidating. We were in the field all the time. You know, you're learning how to be a grunt at that point. It's no yeah. more like drill and this is how you wear your uniform. And this is how you salute. It's yeah. like, hey, this is how you set in to a defense and you guys are going to take turns getting four hours of sleep a night. And if I catch you guys both sleeping here, we're going to play fucking games. And it got yeah. real serious. And, you know, just being around guys like that, you start to emulate it. And the way they train machine gunners is they teach you like the machine gun tactically is what is keeping everyone else alive. You and your couple of machine guns, that suppression that you are providing on the enemy is what's allowing them to move, to communicate, to close with. It's, it's what keeps them alive. So if your gun goes down, if your guns go down, you just, they're all dead now. Right. So right. I pulled the name Dead Gunner Poetry from Dead Gunner Drills, right? So machine gunners will be behind the 240. You'll have a gunner. You'll have the team leader right next to him making corrections, reloading, all that. If that gunner dies... Your job is to pull him off and roll onto the gun, right? You're not giving him first aid. You're not saying, hey, buddy, how you doing? None of that. It's like that gun has to keep going at all times. Um, Just as a sidebar before you keep going. So talk about how that related to dead gunner poetry. So it was your idea that, hey, no matter what – this, these words got to come out. Uh, no, I just I, I liked I liked that that name. I liked the name of yeah. that. It just it always stuck with me. I remember doing it because when you're in training, you're just so focused on this. But I remember like doing these drills sometimes and thinking like, this is so fucking morbid. <laughs> this is so morbid. Like it's like yeah. the idea that yeah. like you know I'm right here. I'm team leading my buddy Jamie, and Jamie just got shot through the skull. It's like in real life, am I just going to handle that and roll them off and get behind the gun? And the answer, I think, is yes, because you go from there, then you get into the fleet and now you're being trained by senior machine gunners. And it's like it's a culture. It's a way of being right. Like I've written some things about like fights in the barracks, like when they yell guns up, machine gunners are expected to show up. If If I can't count on you to come fight in a barracks fight. Uh, then I can't count on you for anything. And obviously, you know, these are the guys who are, are bigger. They're, they're jacked. They're expected. Yeah. They're just expected to, to bring the pain. So it, it was just a way of being. I The original name of the Instagram was uh, Warboy um, based off okay. of, have you seen the Mad Max movie from 2015? Yeah. So you remember yeah. how they were like this cult? It's like warrior yeah. cult and all they wanted to do was like go into combat and like hopefully die, you know? Like I'm right. Roddy Turtle, right. Shiny and Green. They're like spray painting themselves and they're like, witness me. They're like jumping off of shit and like stuff. I'm like, that's yeah, yeah, what yeah. Marines are like. To me, I saw a commonality uh, between like just their mindset. They're like cultish, zealot, yeah. almost like obsession with um, war and your own history 
and the legacy of it. That's I, I, I leaned into that when I was writing about the Vice News article. I said, Marines are zealots. They are religious zealots mm-hmm. for their own branch. There's no other way to explain it, right? Like yeah. when you go ask young grunts, like if they want to go to war, granted guys follow politics and most of them are, are pretty, everyone's pretty upset about seeing the way the U.S. handled the end of Afghanistan because it's like, what was that all? What was that all really about? But I promise you, these kids in the barracks still tomorrow. If if you came in there and said we're invading Yemen or we're going to war with Turkey or um, right. anywhere, they'd be like, they're not going to say why or yeah. like what started that. They're going to be like, oh, yes, dude, let's go. They just want to go get it right. You need. You need people like that in your military. You you just do, right? You want me on that wall, you need me on that 100%. wall. 100%. Right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's, it's it it's that you know, and it's funny how that um that movie um it's it's yeah. about like a hazing investigation, right? And it's like right. in reality there's no like lieutenant colonel's like code red like right. go handle it. Right. But I mean, I was told by my platoon sergeant once like, "Hey, Fix this kid, right? And it's implied that no one needs to know what happens, but something needs to be done to get this junior Marine back on track. And it's funny. um, I I, I can probably tell the story. So I had a junior Marine. We were doing gun drills with Mark 19s, which for the layman who is not as familiar with heavy machine guns, it's a 77-pound grenade launching machine gun. So we've got the full systems. We're running up and down PT Road, and gun drills are basically just like, the squad leader will be like, hey, we're setting in there, right? Go. And he'll kind of give you like the directions. So everyone will sprint with all this gear to that spot and set up, you know, what the gun line would mm-hmm. look like with the, the terrain that we have. So we did that for like mile and a half up and down PT Road. It's very much no. start, stop, start, stop. But when you're moving, like that's a lot of weight and it's exhausting. We're in full kit. Yeah. My junior Marine has a tear in the back of his hydration pouch. The, the pouch that holds it. So it falls yeah. out and now he has no water. Right. And he, he comes, he's like, Mr. Roach. And I'm just like looking at it, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why is it like this? Why didn't you get it replaced? Like, did you not inspect this last night? Like, you knew what we were doing. You knew you were going to need water for a right. PT like this. I swap flax with him. So he has water. I have no water the rest of the day. And then he had like messed something up, else, something else up that day. And so, and some, it was my buddy Ricardo. I was talking about. He was the the, the squad leader. He comes. He's like, "Hey, staff sergeant said like you need to go fix him." I was like, "Good." I yeah. I'm so so yeah. I went in there. I gave him a gallon of water. I said, "You're either drinking water or you're doing the calisthenics." I'm telling you to do. This went on for a while. So when I went back, um, I'm visiting my junior Marines, and they were like, "Oh, by the way." so-and-so like did that to one of the juniors and he was just like so pumped <laughs> i was like well was there like at least a good reason you know it's it's funny how like that got brought up in the movie and they like killed him they like went way overboard it's yeah. like yeah i don't know what you're doing where you're like actually murdering someone like sometimes hands get put on each other and i i i think that's fine um, I know, I know some platoons who literally would settle things with like gloves, 
if people had like issues with each sure. people had issues sure. with each other, they'd be like, there's gonna be like one person in here to watch yeah. it, and you guys are just gonna settle this like grown men. Yeah. Because we don't have time. Did you guys did you guys used to have gloves on like tacked to the wall? We had gloves that were tacked on the wall, so you could grab them at any point and grab gloves. Yeah, I mean we would call it, we would call it drop and it. rank. Like, hey, drop wow. Like, let's like, yeah. I, you wanna yeah. go? Like, let's let's settle this. Yeah. As a senior, if like a junior Marine says that to you, like you have to fight. They kind of just they just pulled your card. You yeah. Know? But um you know, it's just funny how that's in the movie that I remember my my I was in Paris Island when like that kid got put in the washing machine and those washing machines are like huge. Did you hear this story? I didn't hear the that kid story. was like no. told to like get in a dryer, right? And it's okay. It's one of those things where <laughs> it's implied that like, uh-huh. you know, the drill instructor might have turned the dryer on, which would have like fucked this kid up. Those things are huge. They're like right. industrial size. Right. Right. Now we we all know he's not gonna do that, but like drill instructors will tell you to just do stuff that you're like afraid to do. Sure. It's, it's in there for a reason. And I don't know what this kid right. was doing. I, I don't know the details. There are some drill instructors who definitely take shit a little far, but yeah. you join the Marine Corps. Like, yep. Yep. Come on. So that, that kid ended no. up like committing yeah. suicide and that's sad, but it, it brought this whole, like all this attention to Paris Island and they're just like watching like everything these drill instructors are doing. My, you know, senior drill instructor came out. He said, Marines are like hot dogs. He made this analogy. He said, America loves a good hot dog and America loves Marines. America wants to see Marines in their dress blues and they want to see us on the front lines yeah. in their wars. You know what they don't want to see? How Marines are made. How they're made. That's how they're right. made. So yeah. You know what they have no yeah. business seeing? How Marines are made. Because the average American, right, probably doesn't have the stomach for, for the way recruits and then students and then a junior marine is treated but it's part of a it's yeah. part of a culture i've never had I, so i i took a lot of liberty with being a pfc in charge of pfcs i don't have a single one of my junior marines who came back and was like bitter about the way they were treated um yeah. i think there's a right and wrong way to do it but like if you yourself set the example and you can teach them things and they they understand that you they understand that you understand your job and that you know it inside and out like yeah like you you what's the word I'm looking for here like I never set an expectation that I was not myself meeting already yeah that's right and I was never that's just right. doing things I, I, early on occasionally especially like when I was drinking really heavy like sometimes just we would just play games with these kids and it was it was not cool, but it's just part of of what coming up in a, the Marine Corps infantry is like. And how long how long ago did you get out? About a year. How long ago did you get out year. of the Corps? A year. A year? Okay. So I okay. started writing. Yeah, to bring it back to writing and like why I'm on this podcast in the first place. No, 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 but no, because because I mean a big part of it though is also the military experience. So it's important to like give that out. But it it does seem it's like, dude, you're still there. You're you're still very much a marine and like in that headspace. Like I, I, I you can tell. I don't, I don't that. know if it ever goes away. I, I don't. Yeah. I, every marine I've met, marines I've talked to, they're like, no, this is it's just part of you. Now, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I I don't I don't know if it goes away. I don't I don't know I don't know where that goes. I don't know what you do with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I'm a year out. I'm st- I'm very fresh back to the world and. 
Writing yeah. has been yeah. what allows me to process and make sense of it because it's kind of like I said earlier, you go through boot camp and it's like they take whoever you were and that's gone. And now you're this Marine. But at the end of it, right, this is where, where things start to crack when junior Marines are getting in trouble. They're having marital issues. They're drinking. The reason there are cracks happening in this Marine's life is because underneath this identity they've given them as a Marine, this is still a human being. And right. often it's still a very young man trying to figure out life in general in the midst yep. of all he's being asked to do every day. And because of the like just loyalty the Marine Corps breeds amongst Marines to the Marine Corps, Marines are almost always going to put the institution first. I was putting the institution first. It destroyed a relationship I was in that I wanted to stay in. But at the same time, I also did not want to leave the Marine Corps. I loved it. I wanted more deployments. I wanted more opportunities to get into, into the fight. I wanted, I wanted rank. I wanted, I wanted all those things. I, I, I fell in love with the culture of it. So when all that fell apart from me, the two things that allowed me to like, just put myself back together were writing about my experiences and trying to process them as a human being and being like, who, yeah. who am I really? And what and what is all of this? And why is it the way it is? And then two was being able to reinvest myself back into my unit and, and continue to serve. Because you, you hit a point as a junior Marine where you've, like you said, you kind of been there, done that, right? Once you get a bunch of juniors, it's like, hey, I'm responsible for shaping these guys. Right. And one thing I did, so when I got my team, I went to, to all their rooms after work and I sat down with them like with like a little notepad and I said, look, like we're not, <clears throat> I'm like, I'm not in here to like, you know, give you a hard time or give you a rough night. I just, I want to know who I'm leading as a young man. Right. Yeah. So I got like where they're from, how old they are, what they did in high school, why they joined the Marine Corps, like what they expect out of their time here. Um, what their family life was like, you know what I found out of the three Marines that I was in charge of? None of them had a father figure in their life. It's a very interesting trend I noticed in the Marine Corps. And I, I just, I believe masculinity is a, a lost thing in our culture because there are so few things in American culture that require like, like old school, yeah. like cool. masculine values, like, like yeah. grit and, you know, fighting is not, encouraged like like two men can't just kind of settle things but uh, amongst each other which is tribal it's 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 how men are wired you know but they're both going to jail for assault you know if, if two guys do right. like I, I my my grandfather you know came up doing construction living in new orleans um you know he tells me stories about like when he was in his 20s and 30s and it sounds like a a, a Waylon jennings record man like you know bar yeah. fights and yeah you know, yeah. he just he lived in a different era. He's like, when I was coming up, like two men would like fight and then buy each other a beer after, and that was the end of the day. And like yeah. nobody got thrown out of the bar. It wasn't this big deal. Right. You know, the bars in my hometown, I watched two guys get in a fight outside at like 1 30 in the morning and they're both getting locked up. They're going, you know. Yeah. And yeah. am I saying like bar fights are good? No, but they're gonna, no, no, but they're no. gonna happen. 
things like that. But it's also it's also do you rely on a third party to end it and a third party to adjudicate it, or do you settle it yourself? That's a difference in mentality. Some people want to sell it themselves. Some and and that conditioning where you start to look for an out and look for somebody else to intervene. That's a different mentality. What's and that is a different way of it's thinking. A, it's yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of things in 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 America that just kind of really discourage traditional mass. If you, I think it was the APA or so, I don't know, but some psychological group mm-hmm. literally defined traditional masculinity as like a, a mental disorder. And it's like, that is insane right, to me. Right. But so uh, that's what I found. I, I found a, a lot of guys in the Marine Corps didn't have a father present at all. And then like my, I, I have like a, a really good dad, um, but he is not like a super traditionally masculine guy by any means of like he does not you know hunt fish he doesn't um really know like i taught him how to shoot guns when i got back from the marine corps Mm. um you know never been in a fight you know which you know he's a nice guy but it's just one it's it's just one of those things where it's like he was a, a a really good father but like i wanted somewhere to like go be a man in a an all-male environment and like get I don't want to say get it out of my system, but just like test it amongst yeah. other men. And the Marine Corps, um, I, I think it's a, a better option for a lot of young guys than like some of the other things you can get into out there in the world. You know? Why did you get out? I got out uh, because I was 30 years old and I was still a Lance Corporal. You know, that NJP um, – that that really holds you back now. You know, I, I hear stories from sure. from like my my staff and CEOs and this and that, and they're like, you know, the height of the war, man. Like, didn't matter. Hey, keep any, you know, you'd be you could be a PFC with right. with two with right. two or three reenlistment stripes. They're like, they just if yeah. if you know how to if you know how to do the job, you're gonna stay in. But for me, it, it was a, a money thing, um, and I just I kind of saw like my opportunities were were stalled out. If they were not what. If they could have gotten the NJP removed, I would still be in um, because what okay. was going to happen is I would have gotten all that time back. Um, so the the time and grade back, I would have gotten like corporal. It would have been backdated. I would have been like paid sure. for like lost money and I would have been eligible for sergeant the second my reenlistment hit. And I, I, I'd probably still be in. But like just it was what it was. They're like, we can do two years. My sergeant major wanted to give me like a meritorious corporal, like as a kind of like on the way out, like, right. hey, we just want you to get out as an NCO. And I said, like, well, I'm getting out. Like, if you're doing a meritorious corporal board, like put some junior Marines on it that, you know, I'm like, I got I got plenty of, uh, of kids that I've been training for a year and a half now that I think really deserve it. I'm like, I don't I don't need that rank. I've done everything that I could do in this in this. In a four year span. You know, I was a PFC holding a sergeant's billet. It's like I did yeah. my job. I don't care as much about what's on my collar, especially if I'm getting out. So. So when you talked about why you started writing, it seems like the writing started really be as a result of bad things happening to you. Right. Because the say, NGP yeah. happens and then you start to have to unpack shit yeah. and figure out why did all this, why is all this it going on? It was a on? tremendous amount of unpacking. I felt uh, – yeah. I felt – severe guilt over the relationship that I was in falling apart um, uh, about 
you know, that the, the DUI, the NJP, it, like, the DUI costs money. It has real consequences. Yeah. And it was also like yeah. just really irresponsible behavior. Um, I was going like 150 miles per hour in my charger at like 2 a.m. on the interstate, you know. Where? What interstate? I-95 heading back north to okay. Lejeune. Um, okay. Because you were an East Coast Marine, right? You were never in Pendleton uh, Lejeune, or 29 Lejeune Palms. Goon, homie. Yeah. yeah. I was in 29 yeah. Palms yeah. for ITX for like uh, two months, and it was a blast. I, I had a really good time out there. It is so much easier to train in, in an environment where the weather is always nice and it's sunny and there's no tree line. Uh, you know, like you can just kind of push the weapon systems as hard yeah. as you want. <clears throat> and like you don't have to like walk through the woods um, right. and get lost right. and then like gets you know, like, uh, you know, chest deep in a swamp with like a machine gun. Like, well, right. you know, right. my point man really fucked me here, you know. So. So. So for you, then when you started writing, um, so first off, I, I should say this because you mentioned it a couple of times that you got out because of the money. And of course, you walked right into the lucrative lifestyle of a working poet. So, uh, so talk me through that logic. So when, when, what was your egg, what was your desired end state when you left? Were you like, Hey, yeah, I'm going to do poetry full time. Or did you just no. discover, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. When I got do. out, and it when took I got out man, that, that Instagram page was at like maybe 2000 followers. It was, it was kind of, it was very grassroots. It was interesting. I was, I, so I started sharing it. I had been writing about two years at this point. I'm at toward the end of my time in the Marine Corps. I'm in the barracks, I'm drinking, a subject comes up about X, Y, or Z in our lifestyle. And I'm like, I, I, hey, I wrote this about that. I would share it with like my really close friends. Okay. Um, yeah. And they'd be like, this is incredible. They'd be like, you wrote this, right? Because it's one of these things where um, poetry is associated with like very feminine, soft, emotional, this and that, yeah. right? And it's like, you wrote this? Like, you know, the machine gunner, like deadlifting 500 pounds at the gym and like yelling at people all the time. And like, that's pounding like a case of beer, like every Friday and Saturday night, like you're writing this. I'm like, I've been writing this the whole goddamn time. Um, but you know what else is poetry? Metallica is poetry, right? Like Slayer is poetry. Right. Like all, like right. anything lyrical where you're expressing and, and talking about and, and giving the word giving some type of like structure through language to your ideas is, is poetry. So I just, well, Nickelback is not poetry. Nickelback. Just, I'm, I'm just fucking around. <laughs> Nickel, <Yeah. laughs> Nickel, no, Nickel, Nickelback is a formula to make shit tons of money. And I need to figure out, it is. I need to figure out what and it, it works. Yeah, it works. But, um, I need to figure out a way to sell out and cash in. Is what I need to do. But, um, start putting your words to music. Yeah. Someone start, told start me to do that. Someone that. told yeah. me to do that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and somewhat I already do with some of these posts, I'll put like pictures to a song or, you know, be, be, when I started sharing on Instagram, Instagram is a very visual medium. So I was like, I have to find something that's going to catch the eye and then make someone want to read what I wrote, um, right, which right. in turn, like sp spurred more writing and more creativity. They kind of the two fed into each other. But yeah, the guys would be like, just share it. So. We were very locked down because of COVID in Okinawa in 2020, right? I'm thinking like, hey, it's my last six months. I'm going to then six months in Oki, go home, get out, right? So I'm going to at least enjoy this island and see some new cultures and see some, none of that. Bam, stay in your guys, yeah. stay on base. Yeah. Nobody's leaving base. It's like, well, if you're not letting the Marines off base, 
we're going to drink a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. And they were not even doing, like, there was a period of time where we weren't even going to work. Like, morning PT was banned because you couldn't have too many people together at once. And, like, nobody goes to the office unless they have to. It's like, so we're not working? It's like, so I can get fucked up every night? Dream deployment. I think it was terrible for our national security, but I had a blast. How was it, how was it for your writing? Did it help your writing? Uh, I, I spent a lot of time writing out there too, for sure. Um, oh, what did the booze do for it? Did the booze help or did the booze hurt? Booze, did you start to lose your uh, mind? Booze gets what words flowing out of you. What's the uh, the old Hemingway quote? Is that. to write drunk and edit sober. Uh, I yeah. mean, usually I would write after I had been drinking a little bit. But people ask, like, how do you write? And it's like, it just comes in like these flashes or spurts. And it's almost like just the way my mind works now. But so I'm sitting in the, in the barracks room and I'm like, I'm just going to start an Instagram. I'm just going to start putting it out to the world because I'm bored. I'm just sitting here like I've, yeah. I've watched. I've, I've, I've finished. I've finished Netflix. There's nothing left to do. Right. Just sit in the room like you can only play Call of Duty so much. And like those Asian kids are like way better at it than you. So I'm just out there getting like 360 no scoped. I'm like, I need to find something else to do. And what was cool is I started sharing it and it I was super worried about like my own friends and like my my people in the unit finding it. They found that shit first. Right. I'm at the armory and one of my one of my boys is like, yo, is that Warboy page you? And I'm like cleaning guns. I'm like. What the fuck are you talking about? He's like, yo, that's you. I'm like, why are you being weird? And one of my, my buddies is like, yeah, help me. why are you being weird? I'm like, yeah, dude. So like, we just turn it on, uh, turn it on him. And I'm, I'm yeah, walking yeah. to challenge today. He's like, you're a terrible liar. I'm like, yo, I don't even know how I feel about people knowing about that shit. He's like, it's really good. And it just kind of kept growing. And like, there were a lot of things where I, I try to write about things in a way where it's accessible to everyone and they can read it and kind of understand what it's like to, to go through and experience these things. And especially Keith said this from Dead Reckoning Collective. He's, he's talking about me and, and, and Block 3, another uh, young Marine who, who writes and shares a lot of poetry. He said, you guys write for your audience, whether you're trying yeah. to or not. It's very clearly written by, for, and about the Marine Corps infantry. And it's like, I don't know how to write about things I didn't experience. I don't know what life is like as a damn flight maintainer or in the air wing or I don't know. None of that. But I know what it's like to live in the woods for weeks at a time and, you know, and all your, and, and just go through what we went through, right? Write about what you know. So yeah. it took off very quickly within 1 6 because I wrote about 1 6. I have one of the first poems I posted was about, our hundredth anniversary, we all get in our service alphas, go to the field house on Lejeune. Uh, they bought a bunch of kegs and we drank that shit dry in two hours, right? Because we're like, yeah. we were in Bellawood, we were in Forge, yeah. You know, so we all go back to the barracks. Right. And it was a four-way company brawl out in the courtyard. Just I've never seen so many dudes just fighting each other at once. It just it descended into just like absolute violence. Like I got put into a coma. It was some serious shit. Really? Holy so shit. I shared a poem about that and everyone was like, well, this guy's definitely a one six, you know, that's pretty obvious. He's kind of gave his unit away there. But, um, yeah. What, what did the powers that be have to say about that? Did, any, did you get any flack for none it? of them? Find, none of them found out except the day I'm going around, I'm getting all these signatures, right? I go, yeah. my first Sergeant who was a mortarman in Fallujah, who like, we know this. He like, 
has like a confirmed kill with his M9 in Fallujah. He wrote on here, ambulance or body bag, don't quit. I'm like, that's badass. Right. So my first sergeant was like a, he's like a, a, a bad motherfucker. So I'm going into the office. I'm trying, I'm starting to get my higher ups signatures on things on this flag. You know, gives yeah. me a hug. He's like, you know, we, I loved working with you. You know, we're, we're talking and I'm leaving. And one of the second lieutenants goes, Hey, hey, Rod, I'm like, what's up, sir? He like pulls up that Instagram. He's like, is this you? I'm like, Hey, sir, shut the fuck up. Um, he's like, dude, it's really cool. And he goes, <laughs> So are you you familiar with uh, Tom Schumann, Killzone? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Tom, yeah. He goes, sure. he goes, dude, Killzone follows you. I'm like, I know, it's cool, but like we're not talking about this in the company office right now, sir. Like, right, shut right, right. up. I'm not trying to have it out there that like Rod, the machine gunner that everyone thinks is such a badass, is like writing poetry in his spare time. I was like very like shy about yeah. it at first. It was just a you know, just one of those things. But so none of them found out. Um, to my knowledge, most of them still don't know. Um, really? I, yeah. I mean, higher-ups are not on Instagram for the most part, yeah. you know? Um, That's the difference between the Army and the Marines. Oh. Army, all, all the higher-ups are on Instagram, you know? Uh, but anyway, yeah. They, they, they have too much time for social media. Anyway, that's a whole different story. Um, when did you start publicizing it, though? Because you became – pretty quickly kind of like a veteran poet influencer type, right? <laughs> I, like people hate, were bouncing I, ideas off I've you I've decided and all to that. embrace the term influencer because Tom used the term influencer when we were all at patrol base Abate for the first retreat. And he was uh-huh. talking about, and it's one of those things where when you're trying to gain publicity for your nonprofit and bring attention to it, you, yeah, it does not hurt to have people with large followings involved. Yeah. We're talking about some guys who were kind of big in the gun community. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm linked up with a lot of like pretty big influencers. And I'm just like, almost like it's a dirty yeah. word. But right. it, I, I was out for a while and I was just like, I can make videos now. I can show my face. I can kind of share my personality. And someone had told me, he's like, dude, if you think people are only following you for your writing, like he's like, you share your opinions on a lot of things in your story. And they're not related to poetry at all. Like, like your voice, like carries in a way. Um, and I was like, that's cool to think. But I mean, so yes, like I got out. What's my goal, right? In Louisiana, there is a ton of money to be made in refineries and chemical plants. Between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, there are mm-hmm. seventy-seven different plants and refineries. And I just wanted to get my foot in the door in one of them. So I did a. They do these things called turnarounds where they'll shut down a part of the plant for a specific amount of time and then they have to do maintenance on it. And they bring in welders and everybody else and there's this thing called Firewatch, literally Firewatch. People are paid to just stand there with a fire extinguisher if something gets set on fire and they're there to make sure it goes out. And when the work's done, they stay there for like a half hour after in case something that was welded lights up, right? right? I got a job managing Firewatch. Um Paid really well. Um, and these turnarounds, right, they are seven days a week, 24 hours a day because it's rotating days and nights because they lose so much money when they're shut down that they right. need it done. So they'll pay the overtime. Right. It doesn't matter to them. So I did that for about a month. And then I got on as an operator at an aluminum refinery. And I was making more money than I've ever seen in my life. Um you know, and in that time, I'm still kind of, I'm still writing. I'm, I'm still processing things through that. And the job itself was like miserable, like very hazardous conditions. It was a super, super old plant. 
um, all these jobs are rotating days and nights, 12 hour shifts. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's havoc on your sleep schedule. Um, you kind of have no life outside of that work. Um, and it was a toxic work environment. I was there for like probably five months and what did it's probably literally a toxic work environment, right? Not even just like bad personality. It's probably literally like some toxic Yeah, some of that shit. Some of that shit's definitely like not good. So, I mean, the one I was at, there was nothing that was like poison. But some of these plants have stuff where if this gas leaks, like you you can like inhale that shit and die, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. They're not the safest places in the world to work, but people make incredibly good livings in these plants. I had a a six-figure job. So I had gotten out and I had achieved what I got out to do, right? I'm like, I'm making this money. I'm, I'm I'm set, right? It's like, dude, I'm miserable, completely yeah. miserable. And the thing for me was Patrol Base Abate. They did their, they were doing their first retreat. It was up in, um, up in Montana. And this is, this is where I think my Instagram just blew up because it, I was very visually outdoing a lot of things in the community instead of just posting and sharing. I was actively doing things, um, but I was not going to be given time off to go. And the the first retreat was the book club retreat. So I don't know how much uh, you or the audience is aware of like patrol base Abate or what they do, but I was going to ask you about just to, I I know what it is because I've looked at you up and it up, but yeah, I want to give you a chance to talk about that. I'll give a quick spin up on that. So it is one of the only uh, veteran nonprofits that it's completely open to anyone regardless of service, right? Which I'm a big believer in. Um, While I was in the, in the Marine Corps infantry, Everyone was like, man, soft is like so much cooler than us. Like, I wish I was a Ranger. I wish I was a Green Beret. And the whole time I was like, I really like being a Marine grunt. I think it's pretty badass uh, because we we are capable of invading a goddamn country and none of them are because there's, there's not enough of them, you know. Right. But then there was also the whole like, well, no one's seeing combat. So like, I'm not even a real Marine. I'm not seeing, com-, you know, people got really hung up on these, like not hitting these checks in the boxes that made them able to feel proud of their service. And that always bothered me because to, to, to see my friends that I serve next to sit there and say, well, my service doesn't matter. It's like, it matters to me. You went through this with me. There's, there's no, nobody else is here doing this with us. It's just us, you know? So that expands out even further into the different branches and the, the different MOSs. Yeah. And it, you always hear people say like, well, I was just, or I was just that, or I didn't do, you know, it's like, well, let's be real. Like yeah. we see all these yeah. Hollywood movies. Nobody feels like they did anything cool because none of us were fucking Navy SEALs. Like, right. okay, cool. You served, you gave part of your life away. You gave years of your life. You're never going to get back. That's not a small thing. So that's part, that's part of why I absolutely love Patrol Base Abate. Because uh, I've seen people from all these different branches come together and smack talk a little bit. But overall, like, people, veterans just want to be around each other again. That's what I've found. Yeah. So yeah. the retreats are based off of club interest, right? So his thing is like, you know, um, if you're into it and you want to meet other veterans that are into it, well, here's your club. And if we don't have a club, anyone can start X club, right? We had two guys who were members at the book club that have started a finance club. Mm. Super cool. So, you know, the club captain will organize the retreats. They'll go up. It's like a five day retreat in Montana. Um, There are guided discussions and then they spend a lot of time focusing on like whatever their interest is. Fight club was literally up there on the side of a mountain doing jujitsu and Muay Thai. Fighting uh, each other. It wow. was badass. <clears throat> wow. 
Uh, and then from there, right, the idea is to have people establish local chapters wherever they go. Um, I'm trying to get one started in, in New Orleans here. Um, I just moved here, but the hurricane threw that off track. It's, you know, X, Y, and Z. But um, it's just a way to get veterans together in their community and then give them a purpose. Ideally, every yeah. chapter will try to – we're not going to create our own service project, but we can go as a group and say – go to like Habitat for Humanity and say like, do you guys need volunteers to build a, a house or something? You, just, yeah. you just get involved and then you do meet and greets and people – it's really cool. And you can join active duty. I really recommend to all the active duty guys I talk to, like if there's a chapter where you're stationed, get involved because it's going to put you in touch with veterans now. And then you're going to know what that looks right. like for when you get out. Did you found it? Were you the founder oh, of Patrol oh, about no, it? No, no, no. I don't know how to do that shit. Okay. Um, yeah. I am. Uh, have you ever heard of Napoleon's corporal? No. Well, the, N- Napoleon's corporal is like an old term. He, whenever they would plan, he would keep a corporal in the room. And when the generals would leave, he just asked the corporal, does that make – Right. So How did I, I would call oh, myself yeah. uh, Schumann's Lance Corporal. Um, oh, it's Schumann that runs it. Oh, okay. uh, He founded it. This was his idea. Yeah, it. so he had he – Okay, had, oh, right on. It's named after uh, Sergeant Matt Abate, who was a legendary Marine sniper who was attached to Tom on his first deployment when 3-5 went into Sangin Valley. That was the – First, that was the first mm, gotcha. push the Marines made into Sangin, and it was a yeah. horrible deployment. They lost a ton yeah. of Marines, but they took that goddamn valley. Um, so we lost Sergeant Matabatsi out there. He's a Navy Cross recipient. He's a he's an absolute legend, um, you know. And this organization is founded to, to honor him and to try to create, you know, uh, uh, really his idea is let's get left of Bang. Instead of being reactive, yeah. let's be proactive to the suicide problem. Because he had he he lost three of his former Marines in like a month yeah. in 2020, and he started researching. He's like, well, what's what's the root cause of this suicide thing? What he found was that non-combat veterans kill themselves at twice the rate of combat veterans. Surprising statistic. I think it may have to do with the fact that there's just more of them. But whenever they go through and they look at what was this veteran going through. Loneliness, isolation, loss of purpose. Those three things came up in all of them. So he said, well, what if we just gave that back to veterans? And it's been super, super awesome to be involved in this. Wow. So I was not going to get time off to go to the book club retreat. There were multiple authors that I really liked that were going up there. I had kind of gotten a buzz on social media. Dead Reckoning Collective had had me on their page with they, they brought 20 different poets on in April to read poetry. So that was the first time like I'm out there. It's like my face, my name. I'm reading my own poems. I was talking to Tyler Carroll, co-founder of it. Um, I met him in person up there. Um, we're, we're great friends now. Um, I've When I evacuated to Dallas, I like cooked his family dinner. Like great guy. Super cool yeah. people. Um, but I, I wouldn't have been able to go if I had stayed at that job. So yeah. I quit and... Luckily, around that same time, um, you know, I had basically I had gotten with my veteran service officer and I was like, hey, how do I like speed this thing up? My disability claim. And she was like, well, your mental health will pay out right now if you can show um, financial hardship. I'm like, what if my job is affecting my mental health so severely that I quit? And she was like, I wouldn't recommend quitting your job. I'm like, I'm doing it anyway. What if that was the reason, though? She said, if you can get uh, a therapist or psychologist to say, like, that's why, 
she was like, they'll, they'll probably pay out your mental health claims early while the rest of it is still being um, figured, figured out. out. Yeah. 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 So that worked. And I got a ton of money right before I went to Montana. So I'm up there, you know, and a big part of those retreats are almost like being in the field. You're living in a tent. You're sleeping on a cot. You're all cooking your own food. You're taking out your own trash. You know, it's you're working for some of it. Right. And we were getting like deliveries up there of equipment for the the following retreats. Every retreat is expected to build that site up a little bit for the for the follow on retreats. Right. Mm. It's your way to give back. That's cool. So we got a ton of like workout equipment for the strength club. We're bringing all the the cardboard and all this down to the barn to get it ready to go on like a, a run to the dump. And they're talking about they're like, yeah, Fight Club has like zero staff uh available to come help run the retreat and i was just like hey i can uh i can stay i uh don't have a job anymore and i have like money to live on for a couple of months i'm i'm still stretching that out that was back in june um so you know struggling poet yeah you know well, struggling poet life welfare queen over here just living off the <laughs> va um and so then yeah Oh, so no, sorry. So finish that no, up. No, I was just going to say, like, I say? volunteered to stay. And Tom knew of me through social media. He had shared a poem I wrote with his class at the Naval Academy. Um, hmm. you, you, at the beginning of the episode, you were like, that's, that's, he was like, so that's why you're so like pro Lance Corporal. Um, I wrote a poem about, you know, someone told me, like, oh, you're just a Lance. Like, I thought you would have been a sergeant by now. This is like an IT, this is right. an ITX. So, buddy, I went to, infantry training with who was like out there we ran each other he's like i thought you'd be like a sergeant i was like dude i just got my lance corporal rank back and he was like you so you i was like dude there's no such thing as just a lance corporal me like i'm like i run things out here like i'm I'm like i'm in charge of stuff out here like you know so I, i wrote a poem about that and tom is super committed to lance corporals like this is the infantry officer that I, everyone would want to work for because he really does believe in his in his mind and in his heart. His philosophy of leadership is that he is there to serve the lowest guy on the totem pole, right? And he will he will talk when he talks about, and I think it's because his first deployment was so violent, and he saw so much loss. And the the people that we lose, go go look at the names from that day in Kabul. It's Lance corporals and corporals. That's who it is. That's who died. One of my friends um, messaged me. She's a she was a corpsman. She's like in her late twenties now. But she messaged me. She said, "Mason, they they were just kids." And I said, "The thing about this war is that they've always been just kids. We were younger than them, so we thought that they were." I said, "But since this thing started in two thousand two, two thousand one, two thousand two to now." It has always been 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, Lance Corporals and Corporals. Tom, that that, that is not lost on him. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, I, I, I you know, I love being in a position to to do things for him and, and to try to forward this nonprofit that he started because I just I believe in 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 the same we, we believe in the same things. He's somehow yeah. a major in the Marine Corps who views the Marine Corps almost through the eyes of a Lance Corporal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. 
So what does that mean for your days right now? Like what I'm doing like, day to what day? Do you, like, yeah, like, so when you wake up, or do you go, hey, all right, I'm going to do something for a patrol base of Bade, or I'm, then I'm going to take the second half of the day and do some writing? I, like how do you structure your I, life? I have no structure to my life anymore. It's been – Beautiful. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it has been just insanity since I, I quit the job, and I'm just taking things as they come because the more I do things, the more things seem to, to happen. Um, I don't know how else to put it. So I spent like a month and a half up there doing just volunteering, wow. giving my time and helping, you know, behind the scenes, keeping these retreats going. And then it was toward the end of the month. And he said, hey, there's a like long range precision rifle series competition being hosted by two Marine sniper veterans out in Montana. And we're going to send some people there to work as like range safety officers uh, and we want you to go cause you're already up there. And like, we kind of want to see some things start happening for the gun club. I, I would like to get in a position where I can start making some, some cool shit happen for gun club. Um, the problem is that we can't really do gun club stuff at the retreat area. It, it it's held on a, a, you know, a former Marines homestead. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he, he gives his property and, and, and he gladly, I mean, you know, it's, it's awesome. Right. But, um, we can't just go shoot all over his property because he does right. – Montana, like your neighbors are spread out, but they're still around. And they don't just want to yeah, hear right. a bunch of veterans up in the mountains just popping off guns all goddamn night. So I'm I'm, I'm working through trying to figure out like what to do. But I also like obviously have my own life that I have to live. So I was up there in Montana a month and a half. I get back to Louisiana. I had just signed a lease on this apartment in New Orleans. So – I spend about a, a week moving into this apartment and I, I'm like a year out. I'm still figuring out like how to just like live, yeah. like how to live day to day, how to, how to, how, like how to person, how to, how to do anything. Yeah. So I, I moved in, I got furniture. I, I, I'm just kind of getting into the groove of it. And then I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm a little settled in. I'm going to start. I'm, I'm pretty close to being done with a manuscript of everything I've written to publish. So I'm like, I'm going to wrap this thing up. The day I sit down to start writing, that shit happens in Kabul. And I, as well as really probably the entire veteran community, had a, had a, we had a traumatic reaction to it collectively. Sure. If you were on your phone, you were just seeing people just like grieving this thing. It was so yeah. – it, it – it, it, I still don't have the words for it. I've written a lot about it to try to come to terms with it, but it was one of these things where it was because it was like the first very public thing that happened. And it was like my generation. It's like, if my unit was there, like those would have been like my juniors that got blown up for what? And then the news comes out that they had like actual Intel. And when I talked to these guys, when I was out there like serving food to them, some of them were like, Oh no, like we knew. Like the yep. rumor mill was spreading all across the gates. Like, hey, there's a suicide bomber like coming to Abbey Gate. What do you do with that? So that happened that day. I was a mess. And then the next day, the hurricane, like with us in Louisiana, like hurricanes, they come. We kind of know how to prepare for it. But um, in my hometown, like it's most rural areas are settled on like higher ground above sea level. New mm-hmm. Orleans was built below sea level. Right. I don't know if you know the history, like most people know the history, but it's named after obviously Orleans of France. The Duke of Orleans was like, this is where we're putting this city. It's going to be our big port city. And like the, right. the engineers were like, this is a bowl 
south <laughs> of a lake and north of a river. It's below sea level. It'll flood. Hurricanes come here like this is a horrible spot for your for your your crescent city, right? He's like, right. nope, it's going right there. And I guess because they can't, I don't know, it's not that dissimilar to our own government right now. We can't really tell them no. Um, so they built it here and it's been plagued yeah. with flooding for 300 yeah. years. So to me, yeah. I was like, I'm not riding this storm out here, right? My family boarded up, you know, they and they, they came out fine. Um, a lot of the rural communities south of here, like kind of where I grew up, like they did get hit extremely hard. But um, I was like, I'm bailing. I'm out, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm in Dallas staying with friends and um, all this stuff's going on with, with the Middle East. And it, it's just, it's chaos. And I have this idea. I'm like, when I came home from my second deployment. Obviously it wasn't like Kabul or all this insane, you know, what they went through, but it sucks to come home and get there at two in the morning, turn in your weapons, not have anyone there to see me. And then there's nothing open to get food after travel in the military, which everyone listening is probably a veteran and they've traveled in the military and it's, it's just a long shitty experience. So I'm, I, called Tom and I was like, Hey, we have chapters near Pendleton and, and near Lejeune. I said, are, are, are our local chapters like planning on doing anything for, um, for these Marines when they get back, you know, to like welcome them home from the veteran community. And he's like, no, that's a great idea though. Write a frago about it for me. And I was like, uh, Tom, I don't know how to write a frago, man. Like I, I was like, I was like, I was a, uh, a PFC and a Lance Corporal my entire career. Like, you know, I'm like, I know how to listen. I know how to receive one and like figure out where to put the machine gun when you tell me. He's like, I'll send you a template. Send it, message it to him, um, and then like I, he's he founded it and he is involved, but he's still active duty. He's not. Of course, he doesn't have his hands in every little thing, right? Sure. It's, he doesn't have the time for it. And then, you know. Sure. So sure. I'm getting calls from a lot of people who are like, like that run. And I've met them. I've talked to them, you know. But really, I don't want to be on a board. I don't want to sit in Zoom calls. I just want right. to message them sometimes and be like, hey, you guys need volunteers? I'll go like live in the woods and like help, you know, run a retreat. Or just, I, I just like being available to volunteer. That's really it. So how does that? Oh, sorry. Keep no, going. that was, what was your question. So I was going to say, how does that affect you now? So with your writing, obviously you're putting up a Patreon site. Yeah. You're collecting money. You, it, it's it's your primary line of effort. How does all this ancillary stuff weigh in on it? Do you find that it helps keep you focused, keep your like get take you back, give you more memories where you're like, oh yeah, this reminds me of when I was in such and such place, and now I'm triggered to write something about it. Somewhat. How do, do you how do you find that? Somewhat. Oh, well, I was gonna say like, I, so I pitched the idea, and I was evacuated. Lights weren't coming on back home for a while, and I was like, yeah. W- within two days, I'm on the phone with the RBEOIC from two one over on the West coast. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to put you in touch with everyone over there. Clearly you guys don't need me anymore. The, the East coast, uh, there's just not the same resources around Lejeune. It's like a trailer park sure. as opposed to Pendleton sure. where there's all these nonprofits who really yeah. California just got money like that, man. Yeah. And I said, you know, I was a Lejeune Marine. One eight was literally right next to me on base. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go and like try to at least be boots on the ground and try to like get it going. Right. So um, I got in touch with the, the people in charge of 1-8 and um, 
I just went solicit all the local food chains on base. And the idea was like, you get home and then you got to turn it at the armory and wait for site counts. And that takes like two hours before you can see your family. If your family's there, especially for the groups coming in late at night, we just want them to have something to eat, you know, and, and yeah, have some veterans yeah. there to say like, Hey, welcome home. You know? So, I mean, I heard a lot of stories from some of these guys and they came back on a high as guys often do from these deployments but I, sure. I told a lot of them, I'm like, you know, some of the stories you're telling me are like pretty fucked up. You know, it's like, it, it, luckily, like me and the writing I've done is a, a lot of it's about mental health and it, it destigmatizes. And I, I tell these kids, like, if you need help, go get help. Like, don't put that off because you saw some things over there that were like, like, so a lot of people go on a combat deployment and it's like them and someone else engaging in combat, right? They saw like this massive humanitarian crisis yeah. in, in front of yeah. their eyes every day. So, but as far as like being involved with patrol base Abate, like it, uh, there was nothing more important I could have been doing with my time in that moment, okay. right? It's okay. like, well, yeah. I, I evacuated Louisiana. It's like, I, there's nothing to, not, not to say there's nothing to go home to. The city's fine. It was this time was just a ton of major wind damage, but it's like I can go home and sit and wait for the power to come on, or I can go somewhere and be involved with something and make something happen. And, yeah. You know. Well, see that that's the dichotomy I think of a lot of vets. You're used to an action-packed life, but then if you're an artist, that's a more sedentary life. You got to sit, you got to think, you got to meditate, mm-hmm. you got to you know conceptualize something. And sometimes it's hard to balance that and know, am I supposed to be sprinting right now? Or am I supposed to be sitting, thinking, and, and marinating in my own juices right now? It's, and I think there's a bit of a divide, it's, right? It's hard for me. But what's, what's yeah. weird is so, so, uh, so much – I wrote a ton in that month just because so much was happening. I was seeing yeah. things happen overseas that were just – it was welling up these emotions in me um, – uh, so, I mean, I wrote about obviously how, how I felt about like the government and, and their misuse of Marines. Yep. But I remember someone told me after those Marines died, they said, you know, it's not a Marine's job to sit there and question why. And, um, you know, the, the first day I was just so angry and I kind of dwelt on that. I wrote this. Yeah. It's, it's called uh, it's called Simplify. And this was just and. And we put that on the site. That's a great poem. Yeah, go ahead. I was just say, Marines yeah. fight, Marines, Marines die. Marines don't get to question why. If there was one thing I could do with my life, I'd go relieve that Marine on the line so he could go home to his wife. If it was the last thing I ever did, I'd trade places with him so he could raise his kids. But he is a Marine and he would tell me no. He is a Marine. He'd say, where I am sent, I go. He wouldn't ever hand over his gun. He'd say, I'm holding the line until this mission is done. He'd go without sleep and live off cigarettes. He'd never weep or have regrets. I'm humbled to have known such men who were so willing to die. This is what they mean when they say simplify. That, so that just came to me. Yeah. When when these things are happening and I'm I'm seeing it, it it just it it happens, right? So right now, there's not much going on in the veteran community. There's less to write about. There's less to say, but. You see, you use the term influencer. People message me and talk to me about how they're processing things, almost like I have an answer. And it, I don't necessarily always have the answer, but 
I think just being someone who writes and being someone willing to talk about it and to say, this, this is what I think. This is what I believe on it. You know, people were saying like, all these people have died for nothing. You know, I shared, this is more just writing, but it was about like the difference between avoidable and for nothing. And when you look at, right, you know, I don't know how we're vetting the people we got out of Afghanistan. And honestly, I have very little faith that the government did it right. But the mission was to get people out as many as we could, as fast as we could. Those Marines got it done. Right. So I I just just trying to find these words and share them with people. And then I kind of went off on a tangent in in that month and wrote a lot about the Constitution and and, and my beliefs on on certain things like that. And, you know. yeah. So let me ask you about some of the, let's talk some shop on, on some of the technical stuff, because okay. I think that's important for people to understand, um, especially let's start first with the inspiration. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you already, your inspiration's kind of writ large because you're coming right off of your, your contract. Yeah. You're still within that year. You just got over that first year out. Yeah. You've had Abbey gate and all the shit that happened mm-hmm. there. So that's topical stuff that's happened. When you think of your poetry, though, do you think that you're just ripping images out of your mind and putting them on paper? Or are you looking around for inspiration and going, yeah, hey, this person messaged me. Hey, I'm seeing this on TV. How much? Where are you drawing inspiration from? Where do you think you draw inspiration like, from? Like right now? Yeah. Man, all over the place. So in some of it, like I said, some of it's poetry. And then I'm, I'm using this Patreon to write long, long form and – um, I've put some stuff on there that I'm, I'm really proud of. There's one called these things happen and it's about barracks fights. Um, and it kind of, mm-hmm. it weaves a lot of different experiences I had in barracks fights. There was one where like we, and no one involved is proud. of. And it's funny because people will go comment and they're like, well, this just sounds stupid. Like, are you proud of it? It's like, no, I'm not proud of it. Like I'm a, I'm a fucking poet. I'm sharing this experience because yeah. it, yeah. it fucking happened. Yeah. And I want to make sense of why me and my friends behave this way. And yeah. in the full story, when you read through it, we behave this way because it happened to us. I go from we were walking around just looking for fights and we just jumped some kid who was outside of his barracks, you know. Um, and I go back to when I was a junior, junior, junior Marine. I went visit some friends from boot camp at their barracks and their seniors jumped me. And I got kicked out of the barracks and the duty was like, don't you ever fucking come back here. And in my head, I'm like, I just got jumped by your guys. And then the next night I'm in the barracks and one of my seniors, I'm, I'm like telling him about it. He's like, you're, you're in a tribe now. You can't just go to other people's places. You can see those guys off base. But he's like, don't ever go to their barracks. And as we're talking about it, the same thing that happened to me the night before happened. I'm from third deck. It happened down on first deck, some kid was visiting some of his friends and he gets his ass beat. And I'm just like, this, this is the reality I live in now. Like, is this real? Yeah. Yeah. It's like prison shit, you know? And I'll just, I'll remember something and say, I want to write. And sometimes I can tell a story. I'm not super interested in doing like a memoir of my own shit. Right. Because okay. it like, that's just not the style I've always written. And that's, you know, there are some really, really good ones out there and, and they center around a deployment, which is an adventure. Most of what I write about is just like the, the culture of and what it was like to be in that lifestyle because I am transitioning out. And a lot of yeah. what I write about is 
being out after and what it's like to just go from that back to just your own home. And like, I I struggle with this to this day. Time does not stop for you. I, when I go, when I was back in North Carolina, that swelled up a lot of emotions for me. I wrote a lot of things, most of it hasn't been shared, but I wrote a lot of things about what it was like just to be back on base, to be back in that town, this place where I lived for four years and like hated most of it. Yeah. Um, that place is like, I can't go back there because I don't belong there anymore. And I get on the road to come back to Louisiana and I don't really have a life here either. So like you asked, like, well, what's it been like being involved with patrol base Abate? Like, I'm just, I've been all over the place. A yeah. month here, yeah. come home, evacuate, a couple weeks there, you know. So I came back. I'm like super pumped to try and like try to settle back in. I had COVID for two weeks. That set me back. Sure. But, well, it seems like though that it is it's memoir like experiences, but you don't process it as prose. You put it as poetry, and it's because you're capturing these very delicate moments. Yeah. I think one of the first poems I think we ran on Savage Wonder of yours was Empty Rooms, um, which I really liked. Thank you. That one, and I thought that was incredible. That was an incredibly quiet moment of reflection, and um, I thought that was incredibly moving. It, yeah, it was the first day I moved into this apartment. And, you know, my ex had like always, we, we dated in Baton Rouge. She had always wanted to live in New Orleans. And I'm not saying I moved to New Orleans, like, because she's here, like we don't speak. But for me, like, I did not want to live in my hometown anymore. I had already done Baton Rouge. New Orleans to me was like the last place in Louisiana where I had opportunities to experience new things. So I, I, I moved in, but this place was just empty. And I remember like asking my mom, like, where's the furniture I had from, from that apartment before I joined the Marine Corps. She said, it's all gone. Every, like everything I had is gone. Yeah. It's just this weird, like, so I, I, I go to a trauma-informed life coach. It's a, a new kind of brand of therapy. But she defines trauma as chronic interruption of connection. There's nothing more disconnecting you can go through mm. than a, than to enlist in the military, especially in your mid twenties, because you've already started to build a life and then you just, sure. that's thrown away. It's gone. And I remember like moving in here and it's like, <clears throat> it was almost like overwhelming. It's like, I don't, I've been living at home, you know, and just working my ass off yeah. when I got out, yeah. just diving into that and not really trying to build a life outside. Of it. And I moved in here and I was just like, it was just surreal. It was this, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to put it into words, but I was able to put it into yeah. a poem, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that that's it, right. that, that lets me know that you guys actually have read my shit because that's like, it's interesting. Like what will blow up on Instagram? Someone asked me like, how do you mm-hmm. grow an Instagram page? And it's like, it, it's somewhat predictable. Like I shared a picture of one of the Marines. He walked up to the table to get like the chicken. He had like his 240. That has gotten over twenty thousand likes. I don't yeah, have. I don't yeah. even have ten thousand followers. But it just doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, I yeah. shared the picture of like the. I knew this one was gonna pop, but I I took the headline from Vice and put a picture of me. Because I said I'm like I look at that picture of me on deployment. I'm like that's an extremist. That's a kid who is just point him in a direction and he'll kill and he won't question right. And the the Vice headline is why are so many Marines you know extreme? It's like. 
or the military has a problem with the extremists. I'm like, I just, I know because visually it just catches everyone's attention. And then yeah. the writing is, and then the, what's wild is like people will get into like arguments and shit in the comments. And yeah. I'm just like, it's yeah, like yeah, when yeah. Garanthom's like, get in the comments. Yeah, and he, he like he like he like encourages his fans to like go at each other in the comments. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, this is happening on my shit now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's and I think it is interesting um, because I I had this discussion with somebody and I keep forgetting who I was talking to when I had these conversations. But we were talking about the veteran influencer culture. Yeah, and it is a weird thing because unlike having an influencer house in L.A. where they're bringing a bunch of kids in to figure out how to pitch the new Jeep or the new line of jeans or some fucking thing. The veteran influencer culture is really based on accomplishments, experience, and your ability to communicate that in some degree of effectiveness, whether it's an article 15 kind of joking, glib, Mm -hmm. slick, you know, uh, uh, presentation, or whether it's poetry, like what you're putting out. And it's weird to see what people respond to and the fact that poetry has made such a comeback i think i would i'd venture that poetry probably is more of a growth industry in the veteran community than in any other facet of american life which is hilarious when you think about all the liberal arts colleges that are trying to have poetry workshops and teach poetry i don't think they're going to see the growth that you're seeing in the veteran community so talk to me about that why did poetry stand out to you i I have always – so I, I grew up like excelling in English classes. Um, okay. I was placed in ninth grade English and eighth grade. And then after ninth grade, I was in honors. And they made like an English five like for people who were accelerated mm. to take at my high school. Um, I have always been an avid reader. Um and it, it just – it always like stuck with me. Like certain poems – what's the one um, Rage Against the Dying of the Light? Um, I'm not one of these people who can like – I can name the poet or I can do this. Right, But right. like that one just stuck with me because I I, mm. I love what poetry does. It it says a – good poetry can say a, a, a complex thing in such a simple way, such a beautiful yeah. way. And it can make these small little lines that are just like – I, like I would get rage against the dying of the light, like tattooed on my fucking body. Right. It's a, right. it's a powerful, it says so much and so little. And it's a, when you know the background of a poem, right? It's, it's like a, a message written from this poet to his father telling him to like, keep fighting for his life, even at the end yeah. of his days. Like that stuck with and like different books, different things from literature and seeing like so, someone who can write a book, right. It, it like, to, to bring these characters out and flesh out an idea from beginning to end. Like that's very powerful. And I would love to, to continue to grow as a writer and get to that point. But I, you know, I was always into that. And then musically, I have always been very interested in, in lyricism. So, you know, some people mm-hmm. listen to music mm-hmm. and they can hear the drums and they can hear the bass and they can hear all these things. Dude, the only time I hear all those different levels of music is when I'm on some type of psychedelic. I'll be honest. I like I am not I don't have an ear for music. Someone was trying to explain like tone and pitch to me and I'm like tone deaf. I don't get it. But you know what I you know what I do understand is when I read lyrics what they're trying to emote, right? Like one of my buddies messaged me last night 
about a Whitechapel song, which I don't know, like if you listen to like Whitechapel, like they're like hardcore as shit. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it was a, a a song he listened to, and he's like, it reminds me of being like getting out as a veteran who was a Marine infantry vet, like you know, it was about being like this lost boy in society or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I said poetry's metal, right? And yeah. good hip hop, right? So like, I grew up in the late yeah. '90s when 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 rappers were lyricists, when they had to have talent, they had to really be able to to you listen to like. You know, I I think a lot of hip hop that came out from in like the '90s in New York, like the Wu Tang Clan and guys like we're going, we're talking old school. Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, those guys yep. were lyricists. They could yeah, they, they could build a rhyme scheme that was just incredible. And I, I would listen, I, I listened to music a lot as a kid, so that oh, I think really heavily influenced me as well to write. Um, Going into college, you know, I'm looking for a major. I was a journalism major for a whole year. And it was entirely because I saw Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And <laughs> and you watch the movie and you're like, well, he's just on drugs the whole time. But in, in my head, I'm like, I start like re- looking more into like, well, what is this based on? This is just insanity. Then yeah. you find out it's about Hunter S. Thompson. And he was a journalist and a novelist. And just a writer who happened to, he, and this is, he did what people do on social media now. He made it, he made whatever he was doing also about himself. He turned himself into a character in the thing. I am somewhat doing that with the Instagram page. It's not, if you look at what I'm posting, it's not just poetry anymore. I'm putting pictures of myself out there. I posted yesterday. Yeah. It's a picture of me pointing my fucking AK-47 at my computer, like in frustration. Um, that shit just sells. I don't know how else to put it. But I watched, yeah. I watched that and I was like, this is crazy. This is wild. This guy was a writer. This guy was – and then you, you go on to look at him. He covered politics. He has a book called Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. He – Attached himself to the campaign. They let this man who was doing, was drinking right. all day and, and honestly, in my opinion, abusing psychedelics, um, be on the campaign trail. It's just insanity. Right. So I'm like, right. I want to be a journalist because that looks cool as shit. And you get into school and you realize now that journalism, I'm taking journalism and like marketing classes and I'm like, oh, this is all just cookie cutter shit now. Like they don't want people to think for themselves or actually question anything. They just, the journalists are just there to, repeat word vomit of whatever the the hot top like it, it's like it's it's completely lost and you look at someone like him who was a complete outlaw like so i i got into i, I started looking into that and when you first wrote your first poem did you plan on it being a poem or were you like hey it's just starting to take this form i wrote my first poem in my uh, my girl in the, the rental car. My girlfriend's driving. We're leaving Paris Island. I wrote a poem about going through boot camp, just right there on, on my notes on my wow. phone. I've written like really all of my stuff on my notes on my phone, unless it's like very long form. And um, I read it to her, and it was about the the. I, I don't know what what the, the how the army boot camp works, but in the Marine Corps, you have your senior drill instructor, you have a knowledge hat who teaches you everything. You have a drill hat who teaches you drill and you have a kill hat who is just there to fuck your day up all day long. And sometimes at night too. Um, 
I wrote about yeah, Army's not like that. Army's it's all a mess. It's just a mess. It's all, yeah. They all do everything. Yeah, each, yeah. each drill instructor has a very like distinct role. And as you come up as a drill instructor, you start off as the kill hat, and all you do is just like haze the shit out of the kids. And then you become right. the knowledge hat, and your job is to, to teach them because you have to learn like damn near the whole history of the Marine Corps sure. as a recruit, which I think is gr- I think it's part of what makes the Marine yeah. Corps awesome. Then you move to the drill hat. Because it takes them forever to really learn and master drill. Marine Corps drill, yeah. like I did not know what drill was going to be, but I went to boot camp and it, it in a way, it's, I, I do think it's it's really cool. Um, yeah. I was glad to never have to do it again, though. And then oh, once shit. you master all that, you're the it. senior. So I wrote a poem about the four, four, these four different drill instructors and what, what they all taught me and what it was like to go through from the beginning and just be molded into this thing. And be who I was at the end. And the poem was about like, it, it kind of ends on this note of like, now I'm a Marine and now I have a job to do. Almost like prophetic. And I don't know where that poem is. I wish I could find it. It's damn. It's 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 on it's that's like two phones ago. I don't I don't I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But I, I didn't write again for a very long time. But my my ex was like, that is like really good. She's like, you just wrote that? I'm like, I just wrote that. I obviously wrote a lot in boot camp and letters. And I think some of that started to develop my style of like me telling my own story because that's all you're doing in boot camp is you're, you're trying to tell your family like, Hey, this is what it's like. You know? Yeah. I wrote one about my rifle range experience. It was a super long letter and I wish I could get my hands on it. Um, but my ex has all of that stuff. Um, yeah. Because I, I would I would put that I would publish that it was it was a it was it's something written literally in the moment yeah. as a recruit yeah. going through it and it was good writing because I knew how to write I had already gone to college I had studied journalism I I read a lot when you write poems now is it first draft and done or do you find yourself editing more and more I always go back and edit shit because I don't I don't. I rarely ever will write it and then post it. Although sometimes, like like with the stuff that happened at Abbeygate, some of that stuff was I threw a picture. I'm like, this is the picture. And I just would mm-hmm. write it. And I'm like, I'll, I'll kind of edit it once or twice over in there. I'll be like, done. That's out. That's 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 hot off the press. And some things I'll write and I'll come back to or I'll reread it. There's a ton of stuff that's written that's like not going to go on Instagram. Um, there's some stuff that's written that's like not going to go anywhere. It's just mine like yeah yeah. and i don't know and it's not because like it's too personal it's just like i don't know a place like to put it if that makes sense the manuscript that i'm working on what i did was when i started going through all my poetry i realized that if you put it in a chronological order it does tell a story and you can i can trace my own growth i can see my own change in my mindset and how i viewed my own service and how i viewed myself like it I, you, I can literally see myself change as a person through my writing. And then uh, you follow it, you know, I follow it to the end of my own career and into the things I've written about transitioning out. So I'm, I am working on putting that into a book for publication. Very excited about that. That sounds very cool. What do you find that your poetry itself technically is better now than it was originally? Do you think you've grown as a writer? Yeah, I, I definitely think I have. How? How do you think you've grown? <clears throat> I, I've become more confident in my writing in a, in a way. Um, I've developed a style um, 
as a writer. When you read different writers, you'll notice that they, they do kind of have certain styles. I met uh, Graham Barnhart at Book Club Retreat. He was a, um, a Green Beret and he writes the way you would expect a, a Green Beret to write. It's beautiful poetry in a more classical sense. Um, and it, it, it's hard for me to kind of get into the, the differences, but Graham teaches poetry and literature. Um, I think he's now teaching in Pennsylvania at a college. Um, great dude. Great dude. But we were talking about poetry. I sent him a lot of my stuff after we met. I said, you know, more or less like, what, just what do you think of it? Like, not like a critique mm, or yeah. not like to go edit it. Just for him to say like, what do you, and it, you know, he, what he told me was, was he said, you can teach people what poetry is, but not everyone can write it because it takes like a certain level of vulnerability and it takes a, a vision. You have to almost know what you want it to look like in the end state, more or less. I'm not sure if that was his exact words, but he was like, you if you're just sitting down, just like trying to write it and like force it, like it, it's clearly going to, come out that way if you are just emoting your poetry mm. like it's yeah. it's gonna be good he's like now i think his only critique was like sometimes like you are almost like too blunt like there are certain things you could probably like leave out because the reader he's like more or less like trust your reader like your reader is gonna understand what you're trying to say you don't always have to be so blunt about like like almost like leave a little more mystery in there but what mm. I've found is that like the style of writing, when I like get on a tear in certain poems, it is like the rhythm of a machine gun in a way. Yeah. Um, oh, a hundred percent. Your brand is so solid because you. from your name to your poems themselves, like it's all on brand. It's like, oh yeah. And I don't think, I'm not saying that with any, like you're sitting there twirling your mustache and some Machiavellian plan <laughs> to be uh, some marketing genius. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just straight. It's unvarnished and it's exactly what you're pitching. When you sit down to write a poem, first draft, how long does that take you? Is it literally all instinct and you're just spitting it out on the page or do you find yourself staring at the computer for hours? It just comes out. After this, I'm going to, after this, I'm going to reopen the manuscript and finally like take some time and sit down and because more or less what I'm doing is I've put everything in and I'm just kind of filling in gaps and I'm going to certain places and being like, do I have anything more to say about this part of my experience? And I found that and because I I was not really writing poetry in boot camp, there's some really cool poetry coming out of me right now about boot camp, but when I sit down to write about those experiences, it just – what I'll do is I'll almost come up with like what's the framework of this house? What am I trying to say, right? What is the big message of the poem, right? It's it's similar I think to writing a song. I, I think they're probably incredibly similar. But it, I'm just saying like what is this about? What is the thing I'm trying to share? What is the, the core experience? What is the idea? And then – I just build it around that and it'll just come out. It's wild. There's an experience that I'm going to add to it because I, I, I gave it so little thought, but in like the third week of boot camp, we had a recruit die. He was very ill from what's the disease they get in boot camp because everyone's like dirty and on top of each other. 
Um, oh, well, like a staph infection. It was like a staph infection that like got out of hand. He had already been rolled back yeah. to our platoon to it, and he just did not want to get dropped again. Just like didn't want to get dropped. I barely got to know the kid because he got rolled to us. He was for a week, and he was like someone who knew him closely was like, no, he's been throwing up after every meal. And I was just like, and he didn't like, nobody brought this up to the joint. He was just like, no, he just didn't want to get rolled. Did not want to get rolled. So we're in bed. We had been in bed lights out for like a half hour. And you just hear, he's on the opposite, like kind of end of the barracks. You just hear this thud. He like rolled and everyone's like, whoa, like everyone's like freaking out there around him. He's like seizing up on the, on the ground. And, um, Someone goes get a drill instructor. He comes in and he says, everyone against the wall. So we're all like facing the walls and these squad bays have windows, right? Just big windows lining it. So I can see like the red and blue, like ambulance lights and they're just illuminating the whole thing. We're all just standing at attention against this wall. And in reality, this kid just died. Yeah. And I remember like not processing it and not like processing it like ever. Yeah. Yeah. And like like to this day. So it's a thing where I was like, this is something that deserves to be written about because that's a wild fucking experience to just have. And because of the pace of boot camp, where it's like, yeah. go, go, go. Yeah. You are here to accomplish a fucking task. You're up, you're putting on your shit, you're going to chow, you're marching. It's like there was yeah. never a moment and there like there were moments where they sat us all down and they talked to us. And people had the opportunity to talk right. to like a chap chaplains and counselors and all. But like for me, it just never like registered. No, you're thinking you're task oriented. You're thinking about the next thing. You don't have time to sit I, and like, process. I, I talked to like, like my yeah. friends who were like closer to him, but like how close are you gonna get to yeah. anyone within a week? Right. But it hit right. some of these kids super hard because they're 18, 19, they just saw a kid die. Especially the ones sure. who were like really close to his rack. But I, I just remember being like, and that's you, like like almost unaffected. I'm like, that's so weird. That and yeah. that was such an early Marine Corps experience for me too. I was a recruit. Yeah. And it, a kid died yeah. and we just like brushed it off. More or less. It's, I had the same thing. We had a kid we had on the uh on the live fire range, one of the drills, um drill sergeants turned the fifty cal, uh flagged the um the bear the the uh, bleachers Oof. and um depressed the trigger what? and it was supposed to be a training round and it wasn't it literally blew the kid's chest open holy shit and it was and we, that was like week six of, of basic and we were the this wasn't it was this was the class right before us and we were waiting to go on the bleachers and suddenly they like about faced us walked us back onto the you know deuce and a half and took us back to the barracks and were like hey you have to call your your parents and they gave us this robotic message that we had to say on the phone it's, to say i am okay you are going to hear about a shooting at fort sill oklahoma it does not involve me <laughs> goodbye and then you hang up and i was like that's gonna fucking freak him out even more it's but yeah it's just so, a weird experience it's so weird and it's just, yeah i just I, I when i think about it now the feeling of being at it against the wall at the position of attention like in my underwear and then only seeing just like blue and red lights. It's like, yeah, you're, but you're like not allowed to react because you're, you're in boot camp. It's such a, so, I mean, that's a, yeah. that, like, that's I like when we get off this call, like I'm going right that because I, because I, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, it's, right it's, there. it's these things where like, it's what I was starting to do the day Abigate happened. Right. And it's like, yeah. I, I know there's really not much left to the manuscript. I just need to kind of go in there and like find the gaps 
and be like, is there anything that I have left to say? Because I'm, I'm trying to get all of this out, right? I yeah. would like to be done with telling the stories of all these experiences. And I, I'm sure stuff is going to continue to always come up for me maybe. But um, it's just when I look at all of the work, I'm like, there, I'm like, this is a book of poetry. And it literally tells a story yeah. through poems. And That's awesome. It, That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so, but then what do you, so when you talk about the future though, when you think about the future, what does that look like for you? Does it, is it, Hey, I, until I unpack all this shit from the past four years, I don't have time to think about that. Or are you already thinking, yeah, no, you know, I'd really like to talk about some since I'm doing with patrol pace of body and you know, I'm going out on hikes or I'm in the yeah. mountains and I, I want to talk about other I shit. I am absolutely going to stay as involved as I can with patrol base Abate. So my, my, what I, my goal, my big goal is to make enough money. Um, like disability is cool. Gives you a little something that it gives you that cushion that it's what, what um, most veterans I've talked to who are like very successful have kind of described it as like this safety net. That gives you yeah. an opportunity to break away from the rat race and decide, like, what what do you want to do? If you can do your own thing, what's that going to look like? And for me, that is definitely writing. Um, you know, if, if I can get to a point where I'm writing for someone, cool. Um, because I have clearly a lot to say. Um, <laughs> and and I, I just... I have my worldview on things and the way I view a lot of stuff to, to some people um, may or may not be uh, controversial. Um, but I, I just, I think the veteran community, once it finds its voice is going to be a powerful influence, like just in America itself, because I'm very much done with like the way this country runs itself. It's, I, I just it's it's lip service from two sides of the same coin that are that then it just it doesn't to me it doesn't serve the people anymore right I put a video out when I announced the patreon talking about like really my commitment to the military was it, it's it it to me it is all about that oath to the constitution right and I'm not saying right. I'm trying to become like a political figure or get like involved right. in politics. like I would never run for office. The idea of it is just like gross to me. And, you know, Justin Egan, who is a, a very successful veteran poet, is very adamant. Like he is going to get involved in running for office and he's he's doing that. I'm like, that's great. I personally um, that that's I, I think my voice is going to be one that's probably always going to be from the outside saying like, uh, you, you know, there's probably a better way and there's a different way of looking at things and. Well, there, there's also, I think, I think there's a more powerful way of delivering a message than going into the political rat race. I think the second people declare political aspirations, you're confining yourself to a box of saying, okay, I'm going to operate inside this framework. What's great, when you look at a lot of the social change that's happened in this country, a lot of the political change that's happened, it comes from the cultural mainstream. Yeah. And having more veterans involved in the cultural mainstream poetry, the arts, mm -hmm. TV, film, what have you, music, that I think everything, all the change flows downstream from that. Pa so I think yes. what you're doing, the poetry is a, is a huge piece of that. Andrew Breitbart, right? And a lot of people very right. critical of Breitbart News. Right. Um, right. Now, I'm not talking about the organization as it is now, but Andrew Breitbart himself, 
his his biggest contribution to the, the political world is he identified the fact that politics is downstream of culture, right? So I, I think it's important for the veteran community, right? There are 19 million veterans. All of all of us swore an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America. When I look at all of our problems in this country, it's because we don't use the Constitution as a way to guide how we govern or how we make decisions. When you get into like this mess of how we're handling COVID, right? I'm not going to sit here and be one of these people who says COVID doesn't exist, but I will tell you that it was politicized from the jump. And there have been lies told about the virus, what it does to people, how much it affects the population, how deadly it actually is. Like lies to push agendas, right? The agenda of a mandate. I don't know if this is going to get us – we're going to get kicked off because I'm running my mouth. No, no, you're not gonna, we're not going to get kicked uh, off. Yeah, no, I mean it's – listen, but, but I think it's important for people yeah. to understand, especially with – when you're churning out the art that you're churning yeah. out. It's important for people to get, like with you and Hunter Thompson, you want to see the person behind the work. Yeah. You want to see where their head's at and the things that motivate you, the things that are spurring you, yeah. the backstories to what you're writing about and what you're drawing yeah. inspiration on. That's important, man. It, and, it's, and it's stuff that ah, – yeah. without without going too far down the COVID rabbit hole because yeah. that's a whole other three hours. But but it, it, it's an, it is important to know where your head's at and what's generating the art that yeah. you're creating. I mean my, my point when it comes to that like is – if you have a you have this government that's going to say we're going to tell you that you have to go participate in these vac it's a it's a trial my thing is like there's no honesty in what's actually happening let's call it what it actually is it's a trial if you want to get it and i don't begrudge anyone who gets it i talked to my stepdad about this yesterday i said for older people i think it's a viable option i don't think we should be forcing shit tons of healthy young people to go get it because we don't know what it's going to do to them long term. But for the government to sit there and say, we will take your job from you if you do not participate. My, my question is, where the where did that right? Where did their belief that they have the authority to do that come from? How have we lost our way where people think they because they're in a political office, they get to say, I will tell you what is best for you. And what is best for you is that you will do this or you can't work. It's so dystopian and it flies against the, the everything we were founded on as a country. And it's like, I'm going to use my voice to speak against that because it's wrong. It's like, man, you know, it comes down to two different ways of looking at it. Do you believe that the government is here to solve your problems or do you believe that there are just certain things in life that it's a risk and we just have to live li- we have to live in a world that is not perfect or safe but we yeah. are free to make our own choices yeah we're completely polarized in those two different directions and it, it scares the shit out of me yeah it does i i mean personally i'm i'm not as I, i'm kind of I, I can't get too worked up over COVID. I'll be honest. I, I've, I've tried. I, I, my, my, my anger with COVID is directed purely at the Chinese government and at the deception there. Um, I think, oh, I, think I agree. 100%. The way that the way that this country's tried to navigate COVID it's, and, and I, 
you know, I was in Afghanistan when COVID hit mm. and all the bullshit that happened trying to figure that out. But, and I can sit and I can snipe and say, look, they fucked this up. They fucked that up. The government shouldn't have done this. Um, for me, it's like teaching an elephant to tap dance. It's like, hey, man, it's, it's, we haven't had a pandemic in a long time. Nobody really knows how to process this. I, I can argue it both ways. Um, uh, I, yeah. my, my one constant is the Chinese government piece. But I agree. Again, I want, rooting, it, rooting it back to, to, to the artistic piece, though, yeah. I think it, it's interesting to me. I knew a, a great painter named E.J. Weiss who used to uh, paint listening to NPR. Hmm. And, uh, and I was like, I don't know how you could do that because none of his stuff was necessarily – not even necessarily. It was not political in nature, but that's what he listened to. And he would – and when I'd go over to his apartment, which was this crazy little apartment in Chelsea on the west side of New York, and it literally was like walking into somebody's brain. Like he had painted the walls. He did huge like floor-to-ceiling pieces of art. But his he lived in this tiny railroad apartment. So it was like these oversized pieces. And he had like 30 or 35 of these uh, canvases all stacked, but it's in this tiny apartment. So you walk in and you're like, you feel like you're in his brain, but he would sit there and he'd go off on these political tangents. I was like, okay, dude, but what about this? And it's like, oh, I see. But that's what's, and, and like, sometimes people I was with were like, dude, he's just going on this political tear. And I was like, well, it's a political tear, but this is where his shit's getting generated from. He's listening to NBR, NPR and he'd go on a rant about the coral reef in Florida or something. And it's like, but that's his paintings. And it, you never guess that from his paintings, but that's where this is all generating from. And I think it's interesting to notice what, what mechanism gets people where they get their blood boiling yeah. and what gets them motivated, what gets the words out or the paint there are, out. There are certain pieces I've published that are clearly, clearly political. There's one, uh, the title of it is FTS, which is obviously a three-letter acronym for fuck the system. But I go through and I use obviously a three-letter acronym to basically go through my issues with almost every single three-letter agency in the government. Every, like every last one of them from the DOJ to the FBI to the ATF to the CDC to the F it was right when the FDA like approved the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I, I get so many messages from active duty. And then like some of, some of it is also like their spouses and they're like, this is what my husband is going through. They're treating him this way because he won't get this shot. Right. And it's like, right. that's so wrong because this virus has really not affected the military in any way. And it's, I just, it, it's, it should always come back down to a personal choice. And the argument is always, well, they let, you know, you join the military and you let them jab you with a million other things. And it's like, you know what? You're right. Because when I joined the military, I didn't think about shit like that. And most of us didn't because we were 18. And also all this shit that they're jabbing us with is like vaccines that have been around for like 20 years. I'm like, this is a new, it's a new thing. And it just, it really bothered me that, and I I had nothing to like say to these, these service members, you know, they're messaging me that they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. And I I just tell people like, you just got to make the decision that you can, when you look in the mirror 10 years down the road, where you're going to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and like live with it. That's how you make this choice. I'm like, I am not going to sit here and tell you not to, I'm not going to tell you to do it because I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm this x well yeah i mean it's it's all i mean look uh, without without going too far down the covid rabbit hole i mean i can i can argue it both ways i i see the personal responsibility i also see the health risk stuff where they're like hey greater good yeah and Um, i it's something that but i mean look 
I appreciate I appreciate the passion for it because mm-hmm. I it's not something I'm waiting for somebody to hook me with something that I'm like yeah I'm gonna go to the ramparts with this, um, but I get it it's it's an interesting um, I think it's I think the the second and third order effects of COVID in this country will be unpacked for years to come. Oh, 100%. And I think and I think it's going to be cultural. I think there's I think there's a lot of cultural fallout. That's more than the medical, more than a, any vac to vaccine or not to vaccine. I think the rifts that are developing based off of what people think about the vaccines are the things that are going to be the most lasting impact from it for better or for worse. But anyway, without getting too far yeah. down that stuff. Yeah. Listen, talk to me about um so the manuscript coming up when when do you anticipate that's going to be done? When when are you aiming for? When do, do I think the manuscript will be done? Yeah, I would when like would you want to get it. I out? would like to be done writing the manuscript within like the week. Um, now that I'm like home and can just Very and cool. just kind of dive into. I mean, like I like I said, it's so so much of writing this thing has been just me compiling shit and putting it in order. Sure, which sure. um, I am. And do you have a place to ship it? Do you have a place to to uh, uh, kick it out and get it published. Do you have that already slotted? Uh, I'm not. Like, what do you plan to do I'm not, I'm about not, getting I'm it? I'm not out? gonna announce anything, but like, okay, I, I have, right. I have, I have some friends who are very interested in publishing it. Um, awesome. And if you follow my social media uh, page, you probably figure out exactly who they are. Um, you know, gotcha. And uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it because of social media, it's, it's put me in touch with with people who yeah. are, are in this, this world and who, who do publish and, yeah. you know, um, so yeah, I, I got you. That's gonna, I got you. You know, that's fucking great, man. Yeah. That's great. Cause you have a, you have a, you have a desired end state and you have a way to reach it. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we're, so listen, let's, let's dude, we've done fucking two hours. That's fucking great, man. I ramble. Holy shit. I, I, no, that, yeah. no, you were rambling. <laughs> no, that was, that was, that was a freaking, uh, it was a lot of, a lot of good stuff in there. I want to make sure that we get all the uh, shout outs done. So tell people where they can find your Patreon. Tell people where they can find um, Patrol Base Abate, all that stuff. So I will say uh, Patrol Base Abate, their social media is where you're going to find the most information on it. Um, best way to get like involved with them is to you go to the website and you basically just like, put in your email and it'll have a list of like different clubs and you just – Click on whatever clubs interest you, right? You could join a bunch of different ones. Um, mm. There's book club, fight club, strength club. There's gun club. There's hunting club. There's a dive club. They literally did a retreat where they went to like the Caribbean and did like some like diving. Uh, it was like cool. Um, wow. Obviously, you know, a lot of the officers, you know, got their foot in on that one. But, um, you know, these retreats are great. You get involved with a club and then it'll, I'm not sure if the website will tell you like, whether or not there's a local chapter there. But if you want to start it, like that website is kind of, it'll put you in touch with the people who will give you the tools to start a chapter or start a club or direct you towards where one is. Um, okay. And then, you know, so I, I think it's pbabate, A-B-B-A-T-E dot org, uh, I think is their website. I might be wrong. I don't, I, sorry. Um, and then their social media. And if, if I'm wrong on the website, the social media will definitely direct you towards where it is. They only have one page at PB Abate. Um, I am on Instagram at dead gunner poetry, all one word. Um, my Patreon, uh, the link to it is in my bio on my Instagram. Um, 
it's a subscription based service. It charges you once a month. Um, I have multiple tiers. Uh, so the, the way the tiers work, um, you're going to get access to the same thing no matter what, because I don't want to exclude someone based on how much they can afford uh, to give. But I also don't want to exclude anyone who would like to give me more money, really. So whatever you value my writing at, you have multiple different options of how much you want to pay, whether that's five, 10, there's a 15, a 25, uh, a 50 and a 100 a month option. If you would like to pay me $100 a month, I will so gratefully accept that. Um, and there are two people who do. Um, much appreciated. Um, what if they want to give more than 100 I What do they do then? Uh, hit me up for my Venmo. I don't know. Okay, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Long term, I would like to um, get into YouTube, um, but I need to figure out like – like. I need to figure out like how cameras work and all that sh- because you know the, the thing about a YouTube channel is that it has to be like a, a goddamn production now. Um, yeah, like yeah. YouTube is like so professional looking. I would very much like to get into like the gun YouTube uh, world because I like guns a lot. They're cool. Um, they make me happy um, and they're fun to shoot. And I like people who like guns. So uh, that hopefully is the road that this leads me towards. Um, a podcast would also be uh, sweet. I like talking to people. Um, I probably have to get better at doing what you do and just shut up and listen. But um, dude, no, you're you're the the silence is easy. The talking's the hard part. You got that down. Listen, you could go for hours, man. You got plenty to say and a lot of ways to say it. So no, yeah. um, that'd be awesome. I think that'd be a good move for you. But listen. This has been a blast, man. I, we could have done another two and a half hours. So yeah, um, I'll let you go because I feel yeah. like I'm sucking up your whole day. But, brother, this was awesome, man. I appreciate it. I really it's, appreciate it's, it. It's been fun. I, I love I love jumping on podcasts. I love riffing with people. Um, you know, I have a story to tell. And, I, I you know, I, I try to tell it in a, a fun and interesting way. And um, I, I like talking about this poetry thing and, like, what it's done for me and, and what it what it does. What, what, what I what, – you know, clearly you also believe that like this can do a lot uh, for the better community, you know? Yeah, so. it, it can. And, you know, I, I kind of didn't, um, I, when I record the intro for this, I'm going to uh, talk a lot about, you know, how we met and, and, and your poetry and how we've used mm-hmm. it on Savage Wonder. But I, I think it's important for you to hear just right now that y- your stuff has gotten a lot of feedback. A lot of people, um, it gets a lot of clicks. People relate to what you have to say. I'm not on uh, Twitter. And interested. I know you guys share it on Twitter. Um, we share it on Twitter yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and well, and it's and it's interesting because it one of the first comments your poem. I think it was one of your poems. It might have even been Empty Rooms Ooh. if I'm if I remember right. Might have been the first one that we shared on Savage Wonder. And uh, I got a comment from somebody that I won't name, but a very well established, well known writer. And uh, he said, you know, it just occurred to me how often we hear about veterans and how rarely we hear from veterans. And he's like, what I'm hearing here is raw unfiltered stuff that I never in a million years, you know, could have written, would have thought about. And it's, it's giving him a window into that mindset. And I think that's huge value added that you should know because your voice is reaching a lot of people and at, through your own channels as well yeah. certainly not just through us Thank you. um but it's 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 really powerful and and as i say completely on brand i think everything you do it gives people a really unvarnished look at that 
03 Marine mindset that is um, it's important for people to know and yeah, appreciate I, and understand. It's a it's a misunderstood group just because it's it's they're like the they're like the the lost boys and like these these like kind of misguided children and they're just like these bad kids and it's like well, where do you put them? It's like well you know to me like the infantry community is just, it's it's a reflection it it truly it, it reflects society back to itself. And if yeah. there's this many young men who want to do this job and, and be a part of this thing, like, you know, they they go there because they can't find it anywhere else. Right. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no other reason you would join the Marine Corps. You're looking for something and they have that something. And it's really it is going to sound like so corny and cliche. But like what what we find is each other. Right. It's these people from all over the, the country who, you know, I I, I can't replicate that brotherhood anywhere else. But now that I'm out, every time I meet someone who was like a former O3 or like, like when I was, you know, back like serving food for these guys when they got back from Afghanistan, like you just fall right back into it. It's a, it's a, it's a culture unto itself. And I, I think if there's one thing I hopefully can contribute to the, like the, the veteran, I, you know, the, the literature, the, 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 whatever this is, that's, that's becoming right. Like I want to accurately capture and portray like, what it's like to be a human being that goes through this experience and is part of this yeah. thing because it's, it's super unique and it's, it's, it, to me, it's, it's special, right? I, I get emotional well, thinking about it and, and talking about it. And I think it's also worth saying that you're doing a lot to bridge the civilian military divide. You know, you're giving a voice to the veterans in a way that the civilian community can appreciate. Yeah. And that's incredibly needed um, because that bridge has to happen. Otherwise, that's a fracture that we don't need in this country. So yeah, I think it, I think it does a lot of good in a lot of different ways. And at some point, maybe even in the dangerously near future, um, we need to pick this up again, either here or um, maybe I'll take you over to our channels on the week on the Havoc Journal oh, sick. with the weekly Havoc because because we got um, I I actually we're putting together an episode on masculinity there, which I think um, oh, I'd love to have you on and talk about love that. love to get in on that. I got, I have sold and sold. I, you will not be surprised by this, Chris, but I have a ton of things to say about that. <laughs> uh, and I'm a, Listen, I'm a huge fan it, of having journal. Every time that every time having journal has put something I've written out there, it's been a, a massive pop uh, like from my page. And I, I, don't, I don't, cool. I don't send them everything I write. I just try to send them things that I think, like are going to fit with like, you know, what they want to share um, and, and what they're trying to put out there. And uh, it, I, I love having journal. I, I, they're always putting awesome. out really cool stuff. Awesome, man. Well, yeah. And Charlie, uh, Charlie Faint, the owner of Havoc mm-hmm. Journal, he's a board member, a vet rep. So um, so there's a lot of incestuous connection between Havoc and us right now. Um, so be a very easy sell to have you on over there and uh and do our masculinity episode of the weekly havoc but anyway without plugging that too much on this one brother i appreciate it man absolutely man thank you for having me on that was the savage wonder of mason road rig you've been listening to savage wonder the podcast for warriors and artists and a production of the veterans repertory theater opinions expressed do not represent anything or anyone other than the speaker You can always check out what's going on with us at vetrep.org. Again, that's vetrep, V-E-T-R-E-P.org. And if you like the written word, and if you love reading fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, subscribe to the Savage Wonder Literary blog at savagewonder.substack.com or vetrep.org backslash now playing. 
with a hyphen between the now and the playing. So again, vetrep.org backslash now dash playing. Also, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and do so. You can do it at savagewonder.podbean.com. You can also do it at vetrep.org backslash now dash playing or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're on iTunes, we'd love your five-star review. You can say whatever you want to us, any kind of criticism, any kind of feedback, we'll take it all. But if you don't mind attaching it to a five-star review, that would be outstanding because the metrics do matter. We welcome any other feedback you may have. Or if you want, just follow us on Instagram at vetreptheater, on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And I take it back. On Instagram, we are Veterans Repertory Theater. On Facebook, we're Vet Rep Theater. On Twitter, we're Vet Rep Theater. And I know nobody can spell repertory, so I'll spell it for you. It's R-E-P-E-R-T-O-R-Y, Veterans Repertory Theater on Instagram. If you want to submit your work to Veterans Repertory Theater or to Savage Wonder Literary Blog, please go to vetrep.org backslash submissions. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of the Veterans Repertory Theater. See you next time when we'll dive further into the savage wonder of it all.